yeah, it's, it's hard it's to pick up. It's hard to pick up now. Yeah, yeah, it's much better. Much better. And, like, even if you want to just lean back, you could just, like, you know, pull it with you. Lean back. <laughs> That's true. But you don't get, like, that arm feel. But anyways. Right, exactly. So that thing that I was uh, that I was saying to Saad earlier um, is we, we were talking – was remember when Saad was talking about uh, how kids grow up one way and their parents, if they grow up too easy. What was it, Saad? Oh, yeah. Let me look at this. Let me look this up because I want to find the name of this uh, – this phenomenon, but it's basically like uh, kids of parents, like immigrant parents that that are basically scrapping, coming from nothing. They end up grinding and like hustling and being really successful. But then their kids, because they live a life of luxury and ease, they ended up not grinding as hard, so they end up not being as successful. But because of that, their kids end up being successful. Inshallah. So inshallah. Yeah. So for the believers. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, what happens is this success ends up skipping a generation, right? So it's kind of interesting because you'll have a really successful generation and one that's not so successful. And of course, this is dependent if like, you know, you don't have generational wealth where like you can, right, right, the next course. 50 generations of your family. Can yeah, survive. they don't have to worry about it. But even then, you know, even with the generational wealth, you end up having people like Roger Goodell, right? Who grew up rich and in close. the lap of luxury. And then they, they're terrible at Absolutely whatever they do, right. even though they will succeed, right? They're not going <laughs> to fail because they just have that institutional uh, power pil- yeah. built into them. But... So there's there's two things there's two points that I want I wanted, this is like a total aside but I I notice in my in my work I work with a lot of uh people that have uh, committed offenses right criminal mm-hmm. offenses and sometimes because of the location where I work you'll see young kids like in their late teens 18 19 or into their early 20s rarely older than that but sometimes but generally in, from like 18 to 25 who are getting themselves into stupid uh trouble mm-hmm. with the law mm-hmm. And occasionally those, those young people will come from a like really well off family. Mm-hmm. Like their dad is a super successful surgeon or a CEO of a company or somebody really well connected. It's somebody that makes a lot. And you, I used to wonder like, how does this even happen? Yeah. How, how can you just, cause you're getting into like petty stuff. Mm. You could afford all, like, there's no reason for you to be involved in this kind of stuff. You have everything at your fingertips and you don't even seem that smart. And your dad has to be smart because, like I said, he's either like some kind of professional that required a lot of education and really good grades, or he's really smart in business because he's been really successful in a competitive world, right? It occurs to me that what I've also seen in that phenomenon, because sometimes the families will be coming to court and stuff, is that these are guys, the, the, the fathers, who did really well in school, they were really smart and got ahead. And even though they weren't really cool when they were young, right, they were kind of like nerds or something. And then they had a lot of money, and then they married, like, the best-looking woman that they could find who necessarily might not have their same values mm, or their same excellent point, right intellectual capacity. Like, they're marrying for the wrong reasons. Yeah. A trophy wife, huh? Yeah, exactly. And then they're having children with this woman, who, mm. and she's, like, staying at home sometimes, and she's raising them with whatever moral background she has, whatever work ethic she has or lack thereof, whatever, importing to them whatever kind of intellect not. she has or lack thereof. And it's even genetic, <laughs> right? And then you get these kids that are, yeah. are just losers. Yeah. It what, happens. Yeah. What you're talking about is, which I actually did uh, my first year master's thesis on the subject, and it's similar to what you're talking about. Generational wealth? No, something similar like that. Okay. It's called the Khaldunian cycle. Khaldunian cycle. Yeah, based on the uh, Ibn Khaldun. And it's actually slightly different. You're missing one element. Yeah. Namely that you said it just skips a generation, right? Right. Now, here's what Ibn Khaldun noticed. He noticed that 
on the second generation, the work ethic is down, right? But the self-esteem is up. Your right. or, or or your belief in yourself is up. By the third generation, the self-esteem is so high because of who you are and who your dad is and who your grandfather is. And your work ethic is so low because of how wealthy you are and how successful and how you don't have to work so hard, right? That eventually you get an absolute spoiled brat who, when he rules, is an absolute tyrant. So what you're saying is this is the development of a Muslim political class. Basically. Like they're, they're not worth anything, but they think they're worth everything. Correct. Their self-esteem is so high. Their self-worth, I should say self-worth. Their, they value themselves. Their valuation of themselves is so high. But their actual work ethic is so low. Mm. So how do you get what you need? You oppress. Yeah. Right? Allah. Ibn Khaldun, he noticed that it's four generations. The first one, he has no very low self-worth because objectively speaking, there's nothing in the rearview mirror to be proud of. So he has to scrap and scrap and scrap and develop an amazing work ethic. And then he wins. Second generation inherits some of the uh, uh, ethics and inherits some of the work eth- uh, uh, work ethic, and also some of the memory of the hardship. Not all of it. By the third generation, there's hardly any memory of hardship. But he's coasting. They're coasting. And the rot is setting in in the third generation. By the fourth generation, is absolutely rotten. And when you look at it, I think the uh, America, we're in the fourth generation right now, where our work ethic is quite low. Our willingness to scrap and get on our knees and do like anything, right? Yeah. It's just, that's not there at all. But our self-worth is so high, mm. right? And I think the Chinese are actually in that first generation. Yeah. Where they are so sick and tired of made in China, made in China, made yeah. in China, that they're actually going to be... Interesting. You know, so, So what you're basically talking about is like a lack of self-awareness, right? Because you're perception of what you are is in this case so inflated uh as opposed to what you actually can do that you have no self-awareness mm. right so and i think that's kind of what i think moyen you wanted to talk about this today right self-awareness that's interesting right um when i was reading uh Shehamza's translation of purification of the heart uh on my like third uh, review of it I noticed that there's a there's a section where he talks about people worshiping Allah for the sake of Allah and people worshiping to avoid the hellfire or people worshiping out of seeking the reward of Jannah. And Shahamz in his commentary makes a really good point, which is that we shouldn't belittle these things. The 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 fear of the punishment of the hellfire or the reward of paradise, right? Those two things are very important and you shouldn't fear them. I mean, you shouldn't uh, belittle people who do it for that sake, but that the ulama of Tasawwuf specifically say that the purest form of worship is when you worship simply for Allah's sake. Mm-hmm. If there was no hellfire, you'd still do it. And if there was no reward in Jannah, you'd still do it just because it's what Allah commanded. Mm-hmm. When I first noticed that, I I, I I was trying to understand, because I'm not a particularly uh, deep religious person, right? And I certainly wasn't when I was reading that at all. Like, I haven't been protected from sin. I committed more sins than anybody I know. I'm one of the worst people I know, honestly. And that's not that fake modesty that people, it's, it's genuine. Honestly, I don't, I don't hold myself in that kind of regard, but it never occurred to me 
to worship Allah for any other reason than Allah commanded it. And like I was reading through that and I was like, but that's just how I felt. Even when I knew nothing about the deen, right? Like I was brand new to the deen and I was like, sure, paradise, I, I would love it. How far? Obviously, I don't want it. But I honestly felt that way, right? And I'm reminded, I was reminded of something from uh, Kierkegaard where he said that if I was sent to, if I was sent to the hell, to hell in, on the day of judgment and everyone else in existence was saved and sent to paradise, from that lowly pit, I would declare God's justice. Right? Because God is just and he can do whatever he wants. And it's irrelevant. It should be irrelevant. You're the worshiper and you accept mm-hmm. his decree. And so I, I've been trying to figure, I was trying to figure out for a long time why that would be, right? Because again, I don't consider myself particularly uh, uh, well-versed in these subjects or whatever. It didn't make any sense to me that why people would care about the other stuff. I mean, and I was like, better people than me really care about avoiding hellfire and really care about the reward of paradise. And it occurred to me that there was one particular thing that differentiated me from a lot of the people I knew, mm. which is that I grew up really poor. And I mean, for Americans, so right? Hard. I mean, grew up like third world poor. But first world poor. Like there were times where we had no electricity, where, you know, we didn't know how bills were going to get paid, bills didn't get paid, stuff like that, right? We grew up really, really poor. And so the only thing that we did have an abundance was my mother's care and love. So my relationship, the way that I grew up, those experiences, not having grown up in the lap of luxury, not having the ease that we were talking Mm -hmm. about that some people grew up with, gave me a, a, a different perspective on what's important. I didn't do right in terms of like worldly things, because I expected a big reward. I never thought that I would make more than like, a, you know, a minimum wage or maybe a little bit more and just struggle through life. I was okay with that. I figured that that's just my lot in life. And I wasn't afraid of, oh no, what's going to happen if I don't have a lot? Mm. Because I did that. But I understood that you could live good as long as you were seeking the pleasure of those who love you and who you love. Mm-hmm. And I think that subconsciously that translated yeah. when I became Muslim, that I just understood that the greatest love is the love that Allah has for us, his mercy on us, his forgiveness of us. When we are ignoring him in the days and committing sins at night, he still is accepting our tawbah mm-hmm. and still providing for us everything to eat, our air, the mm-hmm. life that we have, right? So that... Relationship. Right. So this, the, the, the way that I grew up, I think poor, but with a good mother. Mm-hmm. I think that that in itself was what informed my experience of it. And I think that people who've grown up with in the lap of luxury or with first world comforts. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I have children, how they're probably going to grow up might not have that perspective and they might be more uh, moved by the promise of reward mm. and the threat of punishment. Yeah. Uh, That's this. So uh, what I'm hearing is it's an integrity thing. I, I think like yeah. to, to second that point though, like on top of the integrity thing, right? It's uh, for example, like, Saad and I talk about like the idea of risk and like work and how we work in uh, corporate America today, right? Uh, about like, you know, half a year ago, um, you know, I quit my job uh, out of nowhere. And when I quit, I remember the first moment, like right after I quit, as I was like driving down the highway home, I'm thinking like, you know, how am I going to get, how am I going to make money, Right. But like a few weeks passed and I'm still living the exact same lifestyle that I was living while I had my job, mm-hmm. right? And like one thing that, you know, and I, I don't want to say this. But, but you like, had more time. Yeah, but you had more time. One thing that the idea of poverty, it affords you is 
uh, it gives you strength, right? And I think like uh, a lot of people nowadays living in like this first world lifestyle, like they even forget what it's like to not make money, what it's like to not have sustenance and mm-hmm. these types of things. And and people in poverty have to have more tawakkul on Allah, right? And you also people in poverty. Uh, they have to rely upon one another. Not only people in poverty, people in wealth need to have that too. They like, need that's to. That's more to. so, if 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 anything. Yeah. And people <laughs> in poverty, when I say they rely on one another, I actually mean just for satisfaction. Yeah. Right. It's like okay, we don't have, we might not have ability to do X, Y, and Z, but we do have one another in the room, right? Yeah. So we could think of something to do. Yeah. And and oftentimes I find that. Uh, you have to sort of be ruthless in taking away, let's say someone who has, has, has kids, for example. You have to sort of be ruthless. I'm assuming some, a lot of our listeners have children, right? right? Moms and dads with little kids. You have to sort of be ruthless in taking away things that come to them, right? By grandparents or otherwise or just by wealth that you have yeah. to force them into you being satisfied with one another and their imaginations together. And that's where relationships comes come in. And w- what triggers me into the and this is certain movies that I've seen that depict the Great Depression era, and how Great Depression childhoods are oftentimes depicted as hard, but oftentimes very nice and sweet from the aspect that we have nobody but ourselves. We have to make up games ourselves. There is there was nothing back in the day not to distract you from one another, right? And that's what builds. Great relationships, the uh, certain things come to the fore. Honesty and lying becomes a big deal because mm-hmm. if I'm going to interact with you all the time, I need to know if you're a liar or not, right? Uh, getting having people's back and not selling them out. Well, if you're solitary and doing your own thing all the time, you'll never come across these moral issues, right? That's true, and that's why the Great Depression era aren't they called the the greatest generation in America, right? I guess. <laughs> I guess. I think that was the 20s they're, or something. No, the, but, the, the kids that grew up yeah. in the Great Depression. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah they're, they're the ones that went in, yeah. for, fought in World War II. That's what yeah, they're referring yeah. to. And they, they're the ones who built everything up. Everyone now is, is on the work of that they did, right? Both That's in true. infrastructure, institutions, and everything. And I have very little, very, very little faith uh, in the America of today and the future. I just have no faith in them. I don't see work ethic. I don't see unity. I don't see vision. I don't see... I mean, you need national unity. We don't have that, right? You need vision. We don't have vision. Everyone's vision is themselves. You get a different perspective on the meaning of that... Having stuff? Of of even where your next uh, you know paycheck or whatever is going to come from. I went to ask for my wife unemployed. Yeah. Like most people would never think of it. I had no job. I had been out of work for a few months and I had no, pros- no prospects at that moment. And I still went to her family and was like, I want to marry your daughter. Were you, were you, were you a lawyer yet? <laughs> no. No, no, no. I was a student with a lot of debt. Wow. So, Good I mean, stuff. I got a job and, a, and I got a job a few months after that, like seven months after. So for the first seven months before we got married, and that's why it took so long to get married is that I didn't even have a job. SubhanAllah. And, it was not an issue. It was not a concern. And alhamdulillah, her family was equally, uh, equally had the right perspective, which is Allah provides, right? Yeah. I wasn't sitting around being lazy. Yeah. Right. I wasn't, I was, I was actually making efforts, but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the work ethic. And, uh, Merlin, what's the character? Merlin and who? Uh, King, King Arthur. Arthur. King Arthur. No. So the idea, well, I'm, and I don't even know if this is true. I remember just from seeing the, uh, kids cartoon of it. 
But the idea of Arthur is that he's just a little boy. He's a skinny little kid. But what Merlin sees in him, and he, Merlin's supposed to pick the next king or something like this. Uh, what he sees in him is whatever that little boy does, he gives it a, a, a thousand percent. Right. Right. Mm. He gives it a thousand percent. And that's why he picks him to be the next king. He starts training him to be the next king. All right. So ethic and people don't see beyond, you have to see beyond the facade of that institutional family wealth that some, a lot of people inherit, right. And go deep into the person and see, do, does this person have what it takes, right. To right. get through the hardships. And, and like Rocky said, right. It's not really about, um, what you can do. It's about how much you could take. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times the best of people who have the most, they fall from the least things, right? The, the, the smallest thing. And this person has an emotional collapse. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. And then there's, there's the so, tremendous value of, of demonstrating your real talk, right? Because, so like there's the, there's the author of, uh, Omar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anh, when a man came to him when he was the Khalifa and was like, it, it, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm impoverished. Mm-hmm. And he said, you should get married. And then I said, no, I said, I'm, right, I'm poor. And he said, yeah, seek, go get married. And he did. And then he came back some time later and said, it's more poor now because <laughs> there's two of us. Yeah. And he said, get married again. Wow. And then the same thing happened the third time. And on the third occasion, he said, but I were, I'm just, I can't. And he said, just marry another one. And he did. That woman was a seamstress. She knew how to sew. And she taught the other two women. Mm. And they started sewing clothes, and the man became the agent that was selling the clothes, and the family flourished and became very wealthy. And so this is having tawakul, right? It's also believing in the formula, right? If Allah gives us a formula, I know that that formula, we got to know that's going to work no matter how many times it doesn't work or it doesn't look like it's going to work. We have to know this formula, it's going to work. Right. And that's one of the things that the reformers of Islam today, they have no clue about it. Right, and they don't believe in these formulas. But I, I will say this though: yeah. don't if you're listening to this and you have a wife and you want, don't go marry a second one just because you're too lazy to work and think that she's going to get some kind of state assistance or something. It's hot on. Yeah, you have to make you have to make the effort, right? You can't just be sitting around like, well, Allah will provide, right? Yeah, this yeah. is one of the excuses that people use, and it's it's I think it's 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 more horrible than saying I don't feel like working. Yeah, because yeah. now you're using religion to justify. Something that it's it's obligatory on you to provide for your family. In, Lo- in London, there were these businessmen. They were Muslims, but th- whether they knew it or not, they were businessmen. He would marry one woman. He's living in council housing on the dole. <laughs> That's the projects, by the way. Yeah, he 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 marries one woman. She's on the dole in her council house. That's welfare, right? He marries a second, <laughs> a third, and a fourth. That's five people collecting, right? And then he moves them into like two apartments, right? And then he rents out the other three, right? He's and sub-letting. he's got his four wives, and he's subletting the other three. And the British, I mean, this was, it was so huge, right, the system, that by the time they get onto it, he's going to get forewarned. He's going to get a letter that you're, we're coming for an inspection, right? And he gets the people out, right? And he, they get away with it. <laughs> SubhanAllah. So I don't actually think we started the episode or did the introduction. So I've been trying to, I didn't want to interrupt you guys. Wait, every time Maureen starts to talk, yeah. we jump into it. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Maureen. We apologize. Minutes 20 minutes in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Safina Society podcast. Are we recording? Yeah, we've been, we've been recorded for like 20 yeah. minutes now. Yeah, I know. Um, but, um, That's that cold open. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, you know, what's interesting is, uh, 
the topics that we've been talking about and everything that you know we we kind of went on the reason i didn't interrupt is 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 it sort of uh gave strength to what i wanted to bring up as the main topic now Alex, you mentioned, you know, the purification of the heart. Uh, along with that, I'm, I'm going to mention, uh, Marvels of the Heart, you know, the, uh, one of the books of the Ihya, uh, Imam al-Ghazali. And, uh, also, uh, um, Ibn Arabi, both of them, radiallahu anhum. Uh, there's a concept that, you know, both of them talk about and other scholars have talked about, about the mind and the heart, right? That the mind is sort of the gatekeeper to the heart. And, you know, the, the faculties that you have, um, within you, your wisdom, your mind, your aqal, your, um, uh, you know, the, the, your physical apparatuses, all of these things are really tools to protect your heart or guide your heart into a certain direction. Mm. Right. And a lot of the things that we talk about that we see in the world, and we talked about the wakal, that we talked about, you know, uh, poverty and all these things. Our mind drives those, just drives those thoughts, those things that happen, right? So for example, I'm talking about I lost my job or, you know, I left my job and, you know, the, the, I'm still concerned. Oh, where is the money coming from? What's going to happen? This is really your mind, right? And, uh, it's your mind and shaitan, but your heart, right? Your heart knows that the risk is coming, Mm -hmm. right? And, And one time I mentioned it to, uh, believe it or not, a non Muslim friend of mine. I was like, you know, why is it that my you know mind gets it but my heart doesn't get it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, that doesn't happen. Surprisingly, it was a non-Muslim friend of mine. He's like, your heart gets it. It's your mind that doesn't. He's like, your heart needs to convince your mind, mm-hmm. right? And the reason I bring all this stuff up is because we have a lot of episodes where we talk about you know things about the dunya, the problems that are occurring, and you know we talk about the problems about the Sufiya and the Gufiya and all of the different issues that are coming in the Muslim world. But a lot of times we forget about, you know, the solutions that the Sawwuf and, you know, spirituality and, and, and these things provide. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I wanted to sort of focus on today was the idea of the heart guiding, you know, the truth, because the heart knows what's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how many issues that you get into with the mind, mm-hmm. the fitra knows, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's one, you know, piece of advice I wanted to ask you, Dr. Shahdi, with everything that's going on. In the world today, and even in the last like two, three weeks, you see with uh, scholars getting blasted, with um, you know uh, activists literally at you know full front. It's it's very confusing now. And I, the, what I've been telling myself for the last week is last two weeks is you know put your mind to rest and let your heart mm. you know sort of lead the way. Well, the fitra, what you brought up is the fitra is. Uh one of those things that it's the most powerful source of knowing the truth. Right. And it has two pitfalls. The first one is that it's subjective. Right? Mm. Fitra subjective. You can't tell someone, hey, this is the truth because I have a gut instinct. Mm. So that's why the fitra is, while it's the strongest, it's dependent on the intellect to, exactly. to express itself. And number two, it's subjective to uh, uh, corruption. Mm. And it's corrupted by everything human. Right, uh, too much interaction with a human uh, things corrupt the fitra. So everything that human beings get involved with, right? The more you're involved with human beings and synthetic and artificial things, uh, the fitra gets corrupted. So city life is very corrupting, yeah. right? Uh, marketplaces where it's all humans, artificial, it's corrupted. So, this, but that means the solution is very easy too. The solution for the fitra is very easy, which is 
divine things and divine creations, right? So animals, nature. That's why, in fact, animals are a cure to people's depression a lot of times, right? Uh, working with horses, for example, being out in nature. And then the divine element is in dhikr. And I think that it's very important. One of the tools that we have in Islam uh, is this idea of dhikr and a person who can train themselves to engage in some dhikr at 30 and 40 minutes and an hour a day, okay, which should not be considered to be like abnormal. We watch TV for that amount of time. You surf the web and read articles for that amount of time all the time. You eat for that amount of time. People play video games on their phone, whatever the latest uh, games are on their phone are for that amount of time. Uh, people do yoga for that amount of time. All the things you mentioned, it's definitely not for 45 minutes. People do those for hours and hours. Hours, right? Thirty minutes yeah. for Vicar is yeah. like uh, so when, it's not that big of a deal. Because people have a lot of uh, knee jerk reaction, like an hour for Vicar. Well, what am I going to do with my life? I have a job, etc., etc., etc. This knee jerk reaction, we have to crush it, and it should be. It, it's it, I, it's very possible to do an hour daily, at least four or five times a week, and all of that will purify the fitra. All you have to do, all that we have to do, is bring the fitra back to its natural state. Also, interaction with poor people, Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who are because they by them their, their nature in general are closer to the fitra, right? Because they don't have a lot of wealth to corrupt them. Today, I think it might be different, right? You can have poor people who are horrible, right? Uh, but uh, are horribly off track. Due to the poverty itself sometimes. Yeah, sometimes yeah. due to the poverty itself, the degree is that they have to go to earn a buck and scratch out a living, uh, what they have to do to do that. So the Prophet ﷺ advised the poor people, be with the poor people. Why? Because they're closer to the fitrah in general. Right? Uh, scrapping Muslim guy who's poor. He's closer to the fitrah. He has nothing to corrupt him. He has no power to be corrupted with. He has no wealth to be corrupted with. Right? And so these are three medicines. Uh, interaction with the poor, being close to nature, and uh, and dhikr. And I think that one of the biggest corruptors of the fitra is uh, all the junk that we see online, right? So to to to, to take your point about uh, you know spending like thirty to forty minutes on on dhikr. Like one thing I want to add to that is a lot of us, you know, we tend to rush a lot of the things I do. A lot of the things they do, like I do it a lot, right? One thing I'll think is like, oh, while I'm doing this, you know. I'm not focused on what I'm doing. I'm focused on what I need to do next, yeah. right? And we we apply that same sort of thought process many times. Most of us do, and, and you know, I'm sure there's other people who don't, but um, many of us do. Where it's like, you know, you'll be doing vicar, and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do next? You know, I got to go, you know, take my kids here. I got to go, you know, go to the store. I have to get to this meeting. This, yeah. this, and that. You know, but the Forget truth vicar, of that happens during. Prayer. <laughs> Prayer. Could, oh. One, it's shaitan, but yeah. I think another thing is people don't realize that and, – and this is how I kind of change myself from this attitude is people don't realize that what's going to come next has already been decided anyway. Yeah. Right? So for example, you're praying your maghrib and you people will be like, oh, let me cut short my sunnah. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to go have a meeting or I have something. At the end of the day, you're only attending that meeting. You're attending that meeting regardless of whether you pay that pray that sunnah or not. Yeah. You're not going to attend that meeting regardless of what you do, right? So that like 40 minutes of the day that, that people like think that they're going to do dhikr. Yeah. If you end up doing the dhikr, right, what you were going to get that day was going to be the same regardless. What you were not going to get that day is going to be the same regardless, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like 
Emma, do I believe that you know you'll be taking some part of your day away by doing dhikr? No, you won't, yeah. because what's what's going to happen has already been decided. And the priorities are faith, family, finances. That's what every Muslim's finance, uh, priorities are: faith first, your iman first, uh, family, and then your finances. Your your dunyawi situation. Yeah, I, I was just telling Saad I think a couple of days earlier. I work with uh, uh, this guy at my office. He is like absurdly slow. At life in general, what I mean slow is like he's 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 you know in his seventies, uh, and if you ever see him like you, hold on, you guys good? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, Alex like discovered Here's like what, a manuscript. He's discovered the Burda. Is he's, that the Burda? Like, what is that? No, he discovered Here's a manuscript. So Doctor Shady is using a book to prop up the mic stand. And That's how ghetto we don't are. Tell him, don't, don't, don't tell him that. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> anyway, it's, some a, donations. it's a, it's it's a, a book book. of like uh, it's it's a tax it's, code. No, it's, no it's, a, it's a it's a select selected nonfiction essays from uh, some author, non-Muslim. Oh yeah, and I'm, something lying on the on the coffee table. It was on the coffee. Table. <laughs> so it was like the only non-Islamic book that I could find on the coffee table. So then I'm looking, and I can see that underneath the it's a hardcover book. I can see underneath that there's something that looks like it's like a, like a little booklet. And I'm like, what the heck is that? So I lifted it up and I pulled it out, and it turns out that it's a translation of all kinds of traditional qasaid oh. that I didn't even know was in my house. Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Shaburi. You might as well just recite one for us now. Well, it's all in English. It's so. all in English. Oh. It's the it's the English <laughs> translation of a lot of the very popular like Shami and mm. some North African qasaid. That'll be so dope if we just broke out in qasaid in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> 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 Anyways, so what I was saying is, um. So at my, you know, uh, office or whatever, there's this guy. He's, he's in his seventies. He is like the slowest per, slowest moving person that you've ever seen on the earth. Like you'll, you'll see him put down a bottle on the table and it's like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was just demonstrating how, how he puts a bottle on the table. And the thing is though, he's one of the most productive people I know. Mm. And then you would wonder, like, how in the world does he get anything done throughout his day? Like, he'll open his laptop and it's like, (laughs) and you can just like, come on, man. Like, I I got stuff to do. But yet, like, it's, it's strange because he has so much focus on the things that he's doing and he move, he doesn't move on to the next task till he's done the first one. uh, One of our biggest problems is, we overload ourselves. Absolutely. And it's a modern phenomenon, yeah. actually, right? We do it a lot more now. And I think the reason why is now we're inundated with so much information, so much stuff that... Um, and that's why one of the things that I uh, I think people should do is be able to count the things that you have to do in life. Hmm. Like literally be able to count them on one finger. If you move into the second finger, you've got problems. You're in gonna, any given day or in your life? In life. In like, life. Okay, you got your job. Yeah. Right? You got your family. Yeah. You got like maybe one or two other things. Right. And then within each one, you'd be able to break out, break that, break that out on one hand. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people don't have, they have a type of avarice or greed and they're unable to say no to anything. Yeah. And you end up with like 50 things and sometimes 12 and 13 things. And then you wonder why you're stressed. Yeah. And you're actually achieving nothing. Yeah. Right. Because you're in a pool of to do's, things to do. And, and right. it's, this is a modern thing because we're so inundated with information. You know, we have like tweets, Facebook, like 
I feel like I'm so exhausted by the time I come to the podcast about all the different things that have happened in the Muslim Ummah in the last yeah. week yeah. in America on Facebook that yeah. it's just like, my God, like what are we yeah. going to talk and about But I think now? it's important to recognize <laughs> that despite all of that, right? Like there's always external forces and external distractions. You're going to have the Facebook and Twitter. Um, I think one way to handle that is to be like, well, I have those, all these distractions. I can't do anything. It's the distractions fault. But it's, but in this, in this theme that we've brought up in this podcast of looking inward, it's like, okay, well, how am I reacting to this stuff? And how am I, uh, sorting through this stuff? Is that the problem? Right. Am I, am I putting too much attention on these things? Right. That's another question because it's easy to, to say like, oh man, like I didn't get anything done today because of Facebook. You know what I mean? But you didn't get anything. You didn't get anything done today because you didn't do anything. Are, are it's you, not because of Facebook. And that's, that's like you know five I mean? levels removed from reality. By the way. <laughs> and, and then, uh, what are people? Uh, are we that weak? Like, I hate the idea of being controlled. Like, why is why why are we against drugs, right. drugs and Sharia? So that you're not controlled. Allah wants you to be free, right? But we drug ourselves, right? We're, are we that weak that we, we are, are controlled? Like, Actually, we are that we weak. Are. So we are that weak, then we need to start cutting th- things off, right? We need to start cutting things off. And uh, sometimes you go through emails and Facebook and Twitter, and you get this bizarre feeling. Okay, I'm done. I finished it all. I answered everyone. I saw everything. And you realize, wait a second. This is absolutely zero achievement, right? <laughs> there's, there's no reward at the end of this. This can continue for decades. There's no reward at the end of this. Yeah. Like you could finish your job and you're like, okay, well, I'm yeah. going to pass that up to the superior. Yep. I'm, there is going to be a reward, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. At the very least, when I switch jobs, I'm going to get a great reference right. at the very least if I don't get promoted. Or, so, I mean, these things, I mean, there's you, you have to look at where there's practical uh, results, well, there's no, there's no practical results yeah. in the corporate yeah. America. In whatever, I was going to say, in whatever yeah, yeah, that's very optimistic. It, yeah. <laughs> even, even, I mean, because te- I know we're talking about something else, but, but jobs don't even end, right? Like you choose a stopping point every day. Like there's always more. This, the same thing happens in, in these kind of things, right? It's like, oh, you, you, there's one more task. I could do 10 more tasks by the end of the day, but it's like at some point you're like, okay, I'm done today. Really, I'm going to resume true. this tomorrow. But now. it's really sad. Like, it, let's say in your job, because yeah. I, I spent an hour in the Verizon store today, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Which was like gas. I take no responsibility for any negative experience it's that you that doesn't work in retail. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I didn't have any negative experience. Yeah. I had it's just a numb experience. A numbness? Yeah, like nothing. Not, nothing then, is, we, then we not, relate on that level yeah. every time we enter Verizon. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing was... I had to get a new f- phone right. because my phone uh, broke, yeah. basically. And nothing was, uh, I would say, bad yeah. in the experience. Everyone was polite. Yeah. But nothing was interesting. Yeah. Like, in the realm of phones today yeah. and technology, right. nothing grabs your intellect. Yeah. Nothing grabs your, I mean, grabs your attention. I mean, that's objectively true as well. I mean, people yeah. are buying... They're, they're updating their phones less. I mean, they don't, they're incrementing now, like on yeah. very minor things. So, so I mean, it used to be that the phone, getting your phone was a big deal. There's yeah. always something new. Right. At this point, it's like uh, completely numb. But anyway, what we were saying, I was saying, like, it sounds pretty sad, though. You call your stuff that you have tasks. Like, yeah. Right. You don't get any joy or satisfaction out of them. Right. That's horrible. I mean, that's a, really in, sad. In, in a, in a, in, in that type of environment, right, where everything is, so, and I think it's an extension of like the, the factory assembly line sort of educated version. Yeah. It's like, it's basically like everybody, like this type of work is very new to 
like humanity, right? Like this type of drone, droning nine to five, like, hey, complete these set of tasks. Give me an example. What is an example of something that you do? Oh, I, just give me you one know, example. Me, I couldn't me, even. I couldn't one. even let get. Me, go ahead. Okay. Let me take this one. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm gonna basically make a huge generalization here. Yeah. All right. Because there are some people who probably do like some real work in corporate America. That's like three people. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, one of them is probably the janitor. He actually does some real work. <laughs> um, now, usually you walk in, right? You walk in in the morning, 9 o'clock, 8.30, sod walks in at 9.30, <laughs> right? You pretty much just log on, you zone out, don't do anything till like 11. Right? What do you mean don't do Where anything? Where do you work? <laughs> like I said, Alex Can I get is probably one of the one people. <laughs> yeah. You don't work in like, corporate. So what do no, you what no, do yeah, you do no, from nine thirty to nine to eleven? I feel like this is playing out like that scene from, from Office, Office space? space where he that's exactly what he says because it's true. And so, then you ask him, "What do you do here?" What, so <laughs> so what, what do you do from nine to eleven? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you go on one of the bobs or yeah. whatever. The you, name yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. You check your email. Yeah, you check your email. You try to catch up on stuff from yesterday. You take a coffee a, break. There might be a, a meeting, right? No, no. So even if there is things to do, so met like I, I used to get in at eight, right? And there would be meeting after meeting until eleven. But I haven't actually accomplished any real amount of work yet. What it is is, and I'm going to continue on this factory assembly line metaphor. Yeah. You're so far removed as a member of these uh, organizations to any real impact. That what you do almost be, you don't know what the meaning of it is, right? Mm-hmm. So like if, if I'm like tightening a bolt, right, at Ford factory, I'm like, what did I do today? Like, wh- how did this help in building this car or whatever? I don't, I don't yeah. really have a tangible idea of how that, but how at, that, at least, uh, but it's not tightening the bolt. It's coming up with the design. <laughs> I would for say the that's, bolt that they didn't want to use. I would anyway. say even that has more utility, <laughs> the tightening the so bolt. So my question would be this. If I'm going to join a company, I'm right. going to say, What's the vision and yeah. who's the guy in, t- in yeah. charge? That's, those and are good do, questions. Do I believe in those two? Look, the, First of all, I actually, I'm not a, like a millennial. Uh, if I need to work, I'm going to work. Right. If I just got to be pumping gas, I'll yeah. pump gas, yeah. right? I'm not like one of these people. But you're providing right? value to people as you pump Millennials gas. Yeah. don't have issues with work. Let's <laughs> get that straight. Yeah. They have issues with... Uh, well, they'll quit for the least reason. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? They don't have issues with work. Uh-oh. I, gonna, trust me. This is gonna, uh, millennials... This is going to turn into... They, I'm they, not gonna. I can they don't see have issues Alex. with fantasy. whatever it is. I can yeah. see. Wait, Alex, they, yeah. they, they don't have issues with like fantasy work where yeah. I come in. There's a nap room. Yeah. <laughs> I chill out for a little while and I get promoted every. But, six hold months. on, hold on, Alex. And, and then wait, I quit because I'm not wait, feeling though, it. I would argue that because you haven't worked in corporate. No, I have. You have almost, except for the last nine years. Because I can, I can give you an example in my workplace of forty plus year olds. That, that like they literally do absolutely nothing all day. Like I do more than they do in a day. So I, I don't think this example is limited. Well, to, what did you major in? Math and econ. Okay, so you're already a whole di- <laughs> No, seriously. So you're not you – Because we're not liberal arts majors? Yeah, because you didn't major in sociology I see. I see. or okay. public affairs management okay. or any kind of fake degree like that. No apologies <laughs> oh, to yeah. anybody that was insulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None. Because I have a – Public Because by the way <laughs> – Oh, God. I have I have a hist- I have a history degree, so I can call you out. Yeah. I know that it's useless, and I know that you took it because you were interested in the subject. Yeah. Good for you, but yeah. that's not 
nobody has to pay you a salary because right. of that. <laughs> yeah. So you already right. don't count. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Public, work- affairs <laughs> 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 Public affairs management. Public affairs management. Man. It's a guy who works in government yeah. who goes, well, we're going to need 14 widgets. You know who it is? You know who it is? It's the guy from Office Space yeah. that goes, well, engineers aren't good with people. Right. I, I take it for the engineers and give yeah. it to the customer. But no, I would no, argue, no. I mean, this is unrelated. I feel like we're, go- we're going off. But I would argue that that is because universities – have now transitioned in this weird space where they're like trade they're trying to be trade schools and prepare people for professions whereas in the past they were never institutions like job prep institutions it was like just it is an institution of learning like go learn about this subject and 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 you had like those kind of well that's they originally they were just like seminaries exactly they were seminaries and and now it's like this job prep where basically yeah if if you're going in and you major in something you know like (laughs) So when like you when you, when you go into work then, when you fe- go into work dance therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Verizon yeah. should have a vision statement like everywhere yeah. written everywhere that gets a buy in from everyone. Like Google's don't be evil. <laughs> oh, by the way, they changed that a couple years ago. They so need they don't to. have that. So they needed to. Yeah. Well, they they what couldn't they couldn't face the fact that it didn't live up to their reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <anymore. laughs> exactly. Uh, it's like you're calling attention yeah. to it. No, They're I mean like, well, here, here's the thing: all the things that you're you're asking about. Yeah. I ask them every single day, right? And and the truth is, a lot of these places, they don't have the answers to those questions. That means their leaders are dopes then. Well, I mean, I didn't say it. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, like Google, I know, I, I, I know what they do. Their idea is to connect companies, connect people, right. people to people, <clears throat> connect. Sell, sell ads. So now Google's it's Google's business ads. is sell yeah. ads. Now it's sell I mean, ads. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a greed thing also, right? Like, I think at some point, like if I were to say to you, you know, Dr. Shady, I'm going to start a business okay. and you're like, okay, that's cool. What does your business do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's going to make money though. My <laughs> business is going to make money. Yeah. And you can be like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like you have no plan. You've got no product. You don't have anything. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a rut that a lot of these organizations find themselves in because when they're beholden to shareholders, they're just looking at short term. Where's the money? Then they're fools. That's like Ben McAdoo. But you don't realize like, that's like a good majority of where working, where people are working now. You, right? you know what? Uh, you know the Giants are like one in six, right? It's the thing you were talking so, about. Lost the losing the vision. No vision. This guy <clears throat> yeah. comes up on uh, on the press count. Okay, you're one in six. What are you gonna do? Right. What's going on? He's like, yeah. we're gonna work hard. We yeah. want to feel the win. Yep. We are, right. The feeling of winning. Yep. It's all meaningless. Yeah. But you it's know what? You know why, Shay? Because that's the same response that they give in press conferences when they are winning. Yeah. yeah. What are you guys doing? Yeah. Well, we're really yeah. putting our nose to the grindstone. Well, yeah, we're, exactly. We're, we're working play. those reps and we're, we want to give it 110%. Yeah. Both team, Rasheed Wallace, it's, both teams play, played hard. Yeah. <laughs> both teams played hard. Both teams played hard. There it's the same cliche. There's no concept. That means the guy at the top has, there's no light bulb going off. Yeah. And I never look at, I never look at the details of how he's articulating all mm-hmm. that stuff. No, you good. Oh, they're very if, good. Re- uh, like they're very good at rhetoric. Yeah, if you know what you're doing, you can tell me in one sentence mm-hmm. what is the purpose Absolutely. of your mission, your organization, yeah. yourself, right? If you can't put it in, if you can put it in one well, that's sentence, that's the self awareness thing, right? That's yeah. like lack of self awareness. Yeah, it's what it comes down to. It, it occurs on an individual level. It occurs on a like a group level too, right? Yeah. People who have lost any sense of like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. do, don't you get that sense? Or even what are we? Right, exactly. Yeah. And don't you get that sense when you think about America as a nation right now? I think of that sense, not just in America. I think it's become a global phenomenon now. You uh, think so? Because I think the Chinese know exactly what they're doing. I think the Indians have direction and purpose yeah. and hunger. 
They have hunger. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Chinese they, have hunger. They have literal hunger. L- literally. I mean, in India, there's enough cows where you could solve that. Yeah. Uh, they, they change religion. I mean, but think about it. When I think of the Chinese, I think of a, a unified people to a degree who are hungry for success, material success, right? Yeah. I'm a, forget it. Set aside, like a spiritual, set yeah. aside judging their goals, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. But we, they have a goal, and they're scrappers and they're working hard. Right? That's true. Yeah. I come yeah. to America. But they have like a multi-thousand-year tradition and identity, right? Right. Like they, you can go back. To you know, four thousand, five thousand years yeah. ago, and there's still this idea of we're Han Chinese, yeah, and we're one nation and we're mm-hmm. united, and we have, so the homogeneity yeah. of their peoples is a power for them. This is why right the now. this is why mm-hmm. the the Uyghurs are the biggest. They consider them such a big threat. They don't yeah. care about religion, right? Yeah. But Uyghurs identify as a separate group. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the Uyghurs? The Muslims. The Muslims. The Muslims, oh. the Muslims, the Muslims in, the, in Western China. Ten million. Like as opposed being, to how many million? Hundred million. Like they're under severe like oppression. <laughs> I don't know the numbers. I don't want to. But the last, the number that I that I remember is thirty million. But 30 I think million. it's probably okay. more than that. Okay, so a lot of Muslims. So okay, you come a, come to America. Yeah. You just watch any political news thing, and you just say, "What are we doing? Yeah. What, what, who are we? First of all." We are so divided, yeah. right? What What is the goal? What is our goal? There is nothing. There's different there's goals, nothing, right? There, people have different goals, I guess, right? Like it, there's a disparity. There's no one yeah. national narrative anymore. Yeah. What is I, the national but narrative? Would you argue that, would you argue that um, heterogeneity is is bad for a society versus like a homogenous society? Like they use Moral. Northern Europe as like a model. <laughs> heterogeneity what is that is that even a word heterogeneity you, yeah. you, you, like almost, you right? almost got the gender bell for that right? <laughs> when you said hetero I started reaching for my pen. hetero no. <laughs> instead of instead of homogeneity might as well ring yeah. it anyway yeah. instead of homogeneity yeah yeah exactly they they use like northern Herogeny? Europe yeah. as a homogeneity that's I think that's the word homogeneity? if I'm not somebody will correct me in the, Listen, in the comments like on Thursday uh, homogeneity is yeah. important in more in morals and epistemology and cosmology mm. like what do we believe about the world you could take right. a whole bunch of people who believe this same thing about the world yeah the same sources of morality and the same vision and goal and it doesn't matter where they're from right yep. it doesn't matter where they're from so and and yet right um like you mentioned like you you don't feel like there's a unified voice i don't think there's a unified voice but i certainly think that there are voices Right. There, there are voices. Not only voices. not only that uh, there's not a unified voice. There are voice. There are perspectives, voices, and identities out to kill one another. Like maybe not literally, but out to destroy one another. Like they're wake up in the morning. How many think tanks yeah. are there? They're out there. They wake up in the morning, yeah. and their goal is to destroy well, the opposing party. I mean, right? you just said it, right? Like it, <clears throat> if you don't have a unified sense of um, ideals, morals, philosophies, then Almost inevitably, you're going to have philosophies that clash with one another, that contradict one another, mm-hmm. that are completely diametrically opposed to one another. And what's that going to lead to, right? That's going to lead to exactly what you're talking about. Like, I, I'm seeking the destruction of this other group yeah. because they're fundamentally opposed to, to my values, right? And, assume, and how does it manifest? When those philosophies trickle down into a tangible law. Do we put this into law or not? And that's where the fight breaks up. Right, and the same thing has happened in England, France, maybe Germany to an extent, and America. I feel like you're watching, literally watching, sort of like senility, the Western Western Europe entering into a senile phase where 
They no longer know mm. who they are, and there's no cure because they have too many. We do have aging populations. Yeah, well, and they don't. They they don't. They don't. They have too many d- disparate groups. The population of which isn't going nowhere. Yeah, like for example, well, the Indians in England. Yeah, right. That population's going nowhere. That's true. I mean, that that so even, you have no solution in sight. Even from an economic perspective, that's usually the doom of any nation, right? If you mm-hmm. have a, if you have an inverted pyramid in the population where you have a disproportionate amount of 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 elderly people yeah. and and not enough young people working, whatever, doing mm-hmm. doing all this stuff, you stagnate economically. Yeah, and, uh, and you see that all the developing countries have that that population correct. pyramid. But you have the inverse. For the minority groups, yeah, the minority yeah, groups, right? You see the opposite in India and yeah. China and yeah. places like that. So, yeah. well, like we were talking about a few podcasts ago, Africa, Africa has the highest number of young people to old people in their population. Oh, really? Yeah, so they're going to be the up and coming then. Yeah, and they're 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 already they already have major tech companies are building you know uh, infrastructure there and they're moving businesses there and they're it's, the they're Chinese really, are heavily invested in the Chinese Africa. are very heavily invested. They practically they have. Contracts or have purchased large portions of uh, East Africa, which has a lot of rare oh. earth mineral. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're 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 getting their mm. business on. No, it's not like uh, what we're saying this is going to die out, but it's like London. London's still a great city, right? But there's no way London's mm-hmm. not leading nothing, right? It's a, a has been. It's a past. It's all in the past. Yeah, good and, slang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I see that uh, like New York. That's where we're headed. The reality is, it's still going to be a great city. America still be like a major country, but you're not leading, you're not inspiring, right? And it's nowhere, people are no longer going to salivate to come here. I mean, we we tend to forget. I think it's because we've lived in the last like, right, 50, 60 years or so where America has been, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, the, uh, the, the, a, a very big major power, right? If not, if not one of the, the the top major powers. And there was a point in American history where America was not a major power, and nobody even considered it. Right, pre World War One, nobody thought about America when you know Germany was invading Belgium. Right, nobody was like, oh, where are the Americans? Right, no. The, the, then it was the Russians and the French and the British and the Germans. Right at that point, you know, nobody cared about China either. It's sort of people thought of America as they think of China now. Right at that point, right? it was like this up and coming nation. Right, they're yeah. they're they're like getting a seat at the table at the conferences before. Like nobody asked them anything. Right, it's the same thing that's happening with China now. And like I think the reason why we forget, like that, you know, like that, that we think that this is a strange phenomenon is because we've sort of always been at the table, at least mm-hmm. for our whole lives, right? We all think like, oh yeah, you know, America's always been at the table, but there was a point at which it was. Also, this yeah. stuff goes in cycles. I mean, think of every great empire or great, exactly. you know, kingdom, whatever, whatever you want to bring up, right? Does it exist anymore? No. So, so almost like every situation where there's, there's a rise or some sort of golden age and then, and then there's a fall inevitably. And, and when it falls, it never comes back. As prophesied said, said, when Persia goes down, it will never come back. When the Byzantine go down the room, they'll never come back. So once you lose it, you never come back. Like the Greeks, for example, there's never going to be another great Greek empire. They no. had their chance, right? Uh, the Romans, right? Same thing. They had their chance. The British had their chance. Everyone's had their Quranic verse that they use about this. That every people will have their day of greatness so that they could be, you know, have it. Uh, and, everyone, and America's had it and, you know, the sun is setting on it. But the frustration is, is the idea of what you were going, what you started with is that when you have so much, 
and you're spoiled, you lose a sense of your purpose. And what is a human being besides his purpose? Hmm. And, and isn't that, the, the, in the nutshell, the first hadith in the 40 Noe, which Imam Noe considers to be the 40 most important hadiths in the whole religion, right? The fundamentals of the whole religion, he summarized in 40 hadith, and he added two more just in case that you forget, you know, two of the 40. So you have 40 memorized, minimum. And the first thing is, verily, actions are by intentions. Everything's by intention, so it's your purpose. And when you see someone losing his purpose, when you hear from, from the highest level, like a nation, to even like a mid-level, like uh, the companies that you guys work for, that it seems like just there's no purpose. like you, like, And it trickles down that you feel like you have no purpose. Right. But I bet you, you could be part of a huge company, probably the people who worked for Apple when Steve Jobs was around, and he made the purpose crystal clear to mm-hmm. everyone, right? Yeah. Even the guy who was doing the meteor job felt, I'm going, I'm part of, I'm part of something big. Right. And I'm part of something great. Right. Right. So it's all goes back to this idea of what is our purpose. And if you can't define it in like one sentence, then you don't know your purpose. Hmm. You know, it's our purpose. How do you, so to worship Allah? Yeah. To worship Allah. Exactly. Not anything else. Yeah. And that's That's your purpose. And then like your vision. Now the mission is, okay, how are you planning to do that? Right. And, and you can have a couple nodes in there. You can have three, four ways to do that. So that's where there's a vision statement and a mission statement. And the vision is like, what's the overall thing? Yeah. And I mean, I, I say that we're all Muslim and everybody who yeah. listens to this, we know this, right? Right. But I find that myself, particularly, oftentimes I live my life as if my purpose is other than that. Right. And it's like an, an ancillary thing to my life Absolutely. where I, I take, I carve out some time. Yeah. To worship Allah, which it should be the other way. uh, It's everybody implicitly understands that, right? Internalizing it is a different is a different story, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Moin, you were talking about like, yeah, like you come, you you come to this podcast right after a day's worth of like reading things and like (laughs) Facebook and Twitter and just going crazy, and and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's like, all right, is, is is my purpose to like read and comment on all this stuff? No. Right. That's, that's not really it. Right. Well, the, the reason that we have prophets though is to show us how everyday life that at every phase can be something that you can expect that Allah, uh, um, accepts or loves to see his servant doing. And it could be mundane and it gives spirit to the mundane. Right. And that's the greatness of the idea of prophets is we wouldn't know that the mundane things can become sacred. Just by purpose and intention mm. and knowing, okay, well, the prophet, right. the prophet did that. And the prophet said that, you know, this is an excellent thing to do. So this is an yeah. extension of my, of my yeah. vision, right? Yeah. Extension of my purpose. You know? And that's where like, you know, in, in terms of bringing it back to like where you, you have the heart make decisions, right? The, the one thing that I really found interesting is the, 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 Scholars of the past, especially, you know, uh, you, you see in the books of Tasawwuf is the mind was really just a tool, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't the driving force behind everything. Yeah. Like you, you said that, that the heart can become corrupted because the mind is the gatekeeper, right? It, it's because it's other, safe, peop- yeah. other it people can safe. convince your mind of things. Yeah. And, and, and the mind is what lets it in really. It's, tr- yeah. and, and that's what corrupts the heart, right? But. I think what we forget, tend to forget is the mind is the tool. It's not the end all be all. Yeah. Right. And when the tool is also get, that's why, that's Isn't why we have driver's seat. Yeah. The tool is essentially the driver's seat, but it's not the, the it's not the person that I like the idea of the, uh, the gatekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Aqidah is so important. 
if you have the right theory down, it's just a matter of time that you're going to succeed, spiritually exactly. speaking. Hmm. Like uh, the, the internal goal that a Muslim is seeking. If your aqidah is sound, it's just a matter of time that you're going to attain that type of, uh, that degree of, uh, what's the best word? Tanweer, in almost like enlightenment, right? Or I don't know, that's not really a term that we use right, in the sunnah. But that level that, that, that you are pleasing to Allah and you're pleased with Him. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what is the sign that Allah is pleased with me is that you're pleased with everything that He decrees. That you see good in everything, even the bad, you see good in it. Right. That's one of the signs. Like that's one of the end goals. So if someone's aqidah is sound and their understanding of fiqh and methodology is sound, they will in time get there. Right? They'll get there a lot closer. A lot quicker. quicker. Yeah, Allah quicker. Alam, but a lot quicker if they at least at least the, the you know, the road that I know of that I've seen people succeed in is shukr. Mm. Right? To mm. be to be brought into that, not not as an intellectual exercise, but to actually witness it, to have mm-hmm. a shahada mm. of to to really be thankful to Allah for everything. Mm. Alhamdulillah fi kulli hal, right? Subhanallah. Uh, praise be to Allah for all states. And to see that in other people and have those people take you by the hand and walk mm-hmm. you down that path, and you grow in that shukr, and then you grow in the hub of Allah, mm. and then. It's everything. And then it's all, it's, it's, it's the quick path, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people go through that at the hands of people that know what they're doing and they seem to be doing a lot better than me. So. And, and I think, uh, Imam al-Ghazali, he mentions this in his deliverance from error, right? The, the idea of, you know, the, the ways of knowledge, right? There's the knowledge of the scholars. There's the knowledge of the philosophers. There's the knowledge of the scientists. And then there's the knowledge of the people of the mystics, of the knowledge of the mystics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we, when we, when we say mystics, you know, we mean, you know, the, the people of the heart, yeah. right? Um, and I think that's important because in this world we live in today, right? I think somebody mentioned like you, you can, it's really hard to even get into a debate on the internet or say anything or comment on anything without some other person commenting. And it's that. almost always a mistake to even do so. <laughs> <laughs> you comment on anything, there will always be somebody replying back, yeah. saying something, having an opinion, right? Nowadays, almost everything is speculation. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm having this discussion, this talk, somebody can comment and say, oh, but you don't know what the definition of speculation is. <laughs> you, know, you don't know how you're describing it. And this is why, like, I think the best sort of knowledge is the knowledge of, is, is knowledge of the people of the heart. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you can't debate with the Sufi, right? Like, you, you go and debate with my father about, like, oh, Aqidah and principles and all this. He'll be like, oh, but the heart. <laughs> The heart knows. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no debate after that point. <laughs> I think right? it's also important to consider what what the point of a debate is, right? And the, and there's no convincing either. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. He can't convince. Yeah, he, you he, can't he, convince him, and he can't convince you. Yeah, there's that famous but, quote, Imam Shafi, where the man came mm-hmm. to him wanting yeah, to debate. Yeah, on the debate. Yeah, that's Imam Malik. Yeah, it's Imam Shafi. Okay, he said what. The the man came and said, "Let's debate." And if on this topic, and he said, "I don't want to. I don't and want I, to." Oh, the man yeah. was insisting. He said, "If I, you'll come to my one question, you, yeah. and if I win the debate, you'll follow me. Mm. And if you win, I promise mm-hmm. to follow you." Right. And Imam Shafi said, "What if a third person comes and defeats us both?" Yeah. He said, "And then we'll follow him." And he said, "This yeah. is not your. This That's is not religion." religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking That's about? And also, uh, uh, the statement of Imam Malik, he said, uh, "The gl- the honor of a man is that he never sits with a fool." And he said, I've never sat with a fool in my life. And sometimes, uh, 
Like I was complaining to you the other day, telling you how many fools. I reevaluate like, what I do I, five times a day, five <laughs> times a week. <laughs> Which is what? <laughs> Go to work. <laughs> I, I was uh, uh, talking to some people, trying to give them a chance, really. They turned out to be fools, right? And and the first sign of yeah. a fool is he has no manners. Yeah. Right? You know. So. Um, I missed the last things I was trying I was just, to say. I, I just talking said about not sitting with fools. The honor of a person is <laughs> yeah. not to honor fools. Yeah. Not engaging not with, with fools, a fool. Yeah. Right? Oh, no, the, I, I say that all the time, especially like yeah. online. And I'm the biggest victim of this. I've spoken to fools online and I've probably been one of those fools <laughs> debating with people at sometimes. And it's, uh, we become inundated with like all this stuff online, all these things where we're engaging in like, you know, discourse of the mind really. And like we, some, we tend to forget often often mm. right that the mind is really the 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 passenger of the vehicle the mind i'm sorry the heart is the passenger of the vehicle right the yeah. mind's just getting you there it's the gatekeeper it's the guard right at that point you if you have the guard you know taking control of your body your sense your being and your understanding your existence like at that point you've lost yeah. right because that's not the point right yeah. the, the point is the heart needs <clears throat> to understand and the mind's job while valuable it's actually very quick the mind's job is very quick yes and then once it directs you to a yes or a no, then you move on. And the beauty of our, most of our deen is that it's khabar, based on khabar. Like, mm. how do you know anything in religion? Your mind, your intellect is not going to derive it. Yeah. Right. Your sense is not going to derive it. There's only one way. It's going to come through transmission from a prophet, right? So that's why the, the knowledge is, as Ghazali said and many other scholars said, that knowledge is only through three path, pathways. Observation. Transmission, Transmission and intellect. Yeah. So hearing, seeing, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the intellect. So that's why uh, uh, arguments in religion, if, if the khabar itself, in other words, the transmission that we're talking about, and actually Jonathan Brown in Turkey, he gave this talk. He said, people argue so much about a hadith and nobody researched the authenticity of the hadith to begin with, right? So find out, firstly, if it's worth arguing about. Secondly, go to the hadith and define, look up the definitions of every single word in the hadith, right? And uh, and then then you could put together what the hadith means. And then look at what was the context of the hadith. So there is a science behind studying these things. And if you're not a scientist in it, and you're, you're not trained in it, you just start banging around and like someone banging around in the dark. Hmm. Right, making a mess out of things and arguing with people and giving people a headache. Right, and that's no. why scholars, when they differ, they know right away when they're going to reach an impasse. Yeah, you know that. Like, have you ever watched a chess match? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And if you like watch, move it in fast forward. Right, uh, you watch the moves. You realize that they they I've call never a draw. watched a chess match by the way. So <laughs> no, I've I've seen some. They call a draw at a moment where I'm like, why? Yeah, because they know way ahead. Exactly, they know, they know way ahead in advance. Yeah. So in knowledge, when you have a conversation with someone, you can tell from like two sentences where mm-hmm. we are going to reach an impasse at this point. I see. Right. Right. And so yeah. you don't stop talking about it right away. By the way, I want to, I want to confess my, uh, my, my, my loserness. Uh, <laughs> mine was absolutely right. It was, it was imamatic. What you pulled out a delilog on the guy? <laughs> Unbelievable. No, 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 but he's good. Unbelievable. We, we, we had that podcast yeah. on the Selfies the other day. This guy's pulling out delilog. He's yeah. absolutely right, though, you because for why? two reasons. Number one, I said, he was like, I think it was Imam Malik. He said yeah. it with like yeah. adab and, and humility. And I was like, no, it was Imam Shafi. Yeah. Right? 
when I was completely wrong yeah. and he was completely oh, right. You know, where, where did you pull that off? You know why I knew that was coming? Because Moeen had texted me that, that exact story. I think he couple, texted to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah a co- like a couple of <laughs> and days And that's where ago. I heard it, and which like, makes it so much it's worse. Coming, right? It's coming. <laughs> where, where did you find that? <laughs> what the dot com. What the dot com. Because that's in the book <laughs> Tertib yeah. al-Madarik by... Uh, so you knew too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he knew I know, too. but I mean, I'm yeah, in the guy's yeah, house. Yeah. This is, and this, so you see, this is the end of, of, of people that it is. Listen, let's let's take this back to like I said very early in this podcast. I'm the least among you, <laughs> right? And this is the proof Stop. of it. Yeah. Dr. Shadi knew knew a reference. <laughs> Moin was the one who sent it days ago, and I was like, it was Imam Shafi, yeah. right? <laughs> So alhamdulillah, and this this is the second reason why I pointed out a to show that in fact people know much. This is always the case, right? When you're so confident, you think you know. That's when you should really be mm. more open to listening. And the second point is Imam Malik, of course. I should have known better. Yeah. No discussion. <laughs> why would I attribute it to his student? <laughs> when it was the it was the teacher. It was the teacher. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's Imam Malik. So that's the student was with him at the time. One of the students, and he said, "Well." Then the man left, right? So that student continued. He said, well, Imam Malik, Imam, if we don't debate, how will the truth be known, right? He said, say the truth and then leave it. Either the person accepts it or rejects it. And Indeed. that's something that we should do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Say the truth, they accept it or they reject it. That's it. And, and, and you know, the, the, the thing about that story is um, what's really interesting is like at the end of it, Imam Malik says, you know, like, are we to leave like, you know, you know, the teachings of what, you know, Jibreel Islam gave to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, based on like debates, like anybody can come along and debate you on anything. Yeah. And it's true. It's like what you're saying, what I was just saying. You could go online and literally say anything. You could say the sky is blue. Somebody would be like, Oh, but that's just what your eyes, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. your eyes see. You know, my eyes think it's green yeah. or it's, or it's red, right? Like it all depends. It's all speculation. Yeah. You could go online and say anything just because somebody comes along and debates you. Like you sit here and you could debate Alex on anything and guaranteed you'll lose, right? But if you went around and you <laughs> and you changed your opinion yeah. just based on some on person that, who yeah. can debate really well, yeah, you'll be on a different religion every, every day, as, as Muhammad yeah, says, right? This is a, this is a further delay that law school is very bad for you, yeah, because it makes you good at winning arguments when you might not even deserve mm. to win. Dude, yeah, there there was a guy I was online, and this is what when, 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 the, the day that I swore off debating people that I don't know on the internet. Especially people who have no manners. He just, I was trying to be reconciliatory. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm trying. Right. Was this at like 2 a.m. when you texted me? And I was like, Stop, probably. Stop yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, that's the other thing. I mean, before you just finish with that, debates are attractive, right? Yeah. Like, you want to, sometimes, like, you, you, you want it, you're like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that, that's another thing. That's, that's, it's a, it's a danger of yeah. debate. It's like digital actually. sparring. Yeah. yeah. But, I knew that this guy either, is a uh, lawyer or a philosophy major? Yeah, or a philosophy like graduate. Turns out he was a philosophy PhD. You mean unemployed? No, <laughs> probably. Who knows? <laughs> he was a philosophy PhD, right? And these people, they're addicted to this debate, right? Addicted. Philosophy yeah. philosophers know nothing. Their 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 air is debating, <laughs> right? Discussion on everything. <laughs> It's so, like one of the majors that can't get a job. I know. <laughs> so my brother, before he became a teacher, was uh, in a graduate philosophy program yeah. at a good university, but he decided he didn't want to continue. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you should see when I when when me and him are in a room. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Oh my and, gosh! 
It's it's to the point where my wife and my mother will they'll look at us sometimes and they'll be like, "Why yeah. are you guys fighting?" And we look at them. And we go, what are you talking about? We're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the decibel levels yeah. are way up here. <laughs> we're standing up and it's a sport. Waving our yeah, yeah but we it's yeah. it's a hundred. Neither one of us is upset at all. Yeah, we're yeah. just it's we're an just, intellectual. Sport. By the way, for yeah. for anybody who's who's considering like uh, majoring in philosophy, <clears throat> if you want a job. Major in math instead because it's basically just applied logic, mm. which is 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 down that oh, kind of other types of philosophy. Like that's my brother, true. My brother was doing like Heidegger and okay, yeah, you know, continental philosophy, which has got nothing to do take with logic. Major <laughs> in math and take the philosophy electives, <laughs> or, or get really good grades, go to a good graduate school, right. and be then serious go, about it, and yeah, then, and then go work in on Madison Avenue because right. they're always hiring people that have non-marketing degrees. Yeah. To work in like advertising, the creative element, yeah. Because yeah, you know about how people think, yeah. Mm. You know, so they hire you for like big idea stuff, yeah. Yeah. What were you saying before this about about that guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying that that that's when I uh, decided I'm done with this these these debates because when you're trying to be reconciliatory as a Muslim brother to another Muslim brother, so you bring the akhlaq adab element. And yet this guy is still uh, slinging mud and being cheap, right? (laughs) You know how how someone can bring a point against you? Right. And he could also hit you below the belt. Be cheap, you know? Just like cheap shots, right? And I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm so finished with this, right? So that's uh, that's when I realized that Imam Malik was very wise, what he said. And he was such a great imam that when you the more you read about uh, all, all these four imams, you realize why they were chosen to be the leaders of... So many people, they, they established some general principles and lived by them, and then millions thereafter followed them, right? You realize why? Yeah, so I mean, in, in the idea of like the mind and the heart, right? Um, debating on the internet, just stop, period. But like one thing that I, I'd like to point out, and this is something that we talked about. Like, and by the way, that's a purely start. mind exercise a yeah, lot of times. It's devoid abs- of any heart, like yeah. devoid of any sincerity of the heart. Or any result. Yeah. Too. And. Yeah. I think I, we mentioned this in the second podcast of like the first season, but don't debate with people you've never met in life. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you why. Because a debate, right, or a discussion, as a matter of fact, will change based on the person who you're having it with, mm-hmm. right? For example, if my, you know, cousin from seventh grade comes and starts talking to me about, politics or liberals or conservatives or anything i'm just going to toss them aside like you don't know what you're talking about right but on the internet you know this guy could have whatever screen name whatever tagline out there you might not toss him aside but you might you might have a consideration for his lack of world experience you'd be like okay that's fine you have that but you know you don't know you don't know know better yeah that's you don't want to be dismissive about it but it's like okay you know, you have a certain level of understanding, and th- that's fine. Intellectually, right. let's just say. Exactly. I, I want to yeah. just toss aside. It's intellectually, you know, like, uh, you know, you consider that he, he, he's right. of, you know, what, where he's where at. Where he's at, yeah. Right? And then, for example, you might know somebody who has had emotional trauma, right? And you know about their life, and they'd be like, you know, I hate all men. Yeah. Right, you know, you know, I, I know sisters like that. You know, they have so they emotional trauma, and they'll say, "I hate all men. I hate marriage. I hate everything about it." Right, and they don't really mean that, of course. Right, but like their, their experiences, experiences shape it. and color what they're trying to say. Now, on the internet, and on the internet, you can't. You have no clue. You have no you have, context. You have no clue. No context. Right. Like, for example, you're talking about some guy who's talking about philosophy. He may be like a 
uh, like a philosophy dropout from like community <laughs> college for all you know, yeah. right? And who's living in his mother's basement and he's typing <laughs> stuff out to you. Yeah. And like, really, he hasn't experienced anything of life. He's like, you know, for, has first class, uh, first world problems, first world issues, you know, um, and here he is talking about like, in, you know, poverty in the Middle yeah. East and like all yeah, these other I things. Mean, <laughs> the important thing, never underestimate spite in these, in these, Oh yeah, discussions and arguments because true. because people are can, can be very spiteful, right? The things that have happened to them, the things they have, have experienced, they often have a resentful or spiteful yeah. attitude towards that, which will you know it'll contribute to how they they discuss and argue these. Which things. is uh, a, a theme you find in most atheists, who yeah, do, who who are into these. Oh yeah, I'm not saying an atheist who just ha- doesn't have a belief on his own, right? I'm talking about the ones who chase you down and troll you, right? And that's why, and that's why these guys, yeah. I just removed them from the page. I said, this yeah. page is for Muslims. Yeah. Right. To strengthen their deen. And if you're bringing this stuff, we're not interested. Right. And, and that's why, like, even if, if you engage with most, most atheists in person, the debates are very tame, like really tame. Like, I know I've spoken with atheists, you know, or, or friends of mine. And you're discussing with them. They there's certain lines that you both don't cross. Like they're not going to go outright disrespect, disrespect the Quran in front of you if they're your friend who just happens to be an atheist. They're going to be like, uh, you know, I I disagree. He with probably that. did that last week on Twitter though, yeah. on his fake account. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. And then and then you get heated, and then the the argument is gone. Whereas, for example, if you're in person, you're having a discussion, yeah. a debate. You might disagree with you, and then you go out to lunch and you pay for his lunch, and he's, he yeah. goes back home and he's like, hey, man. I didn't like his argument, but he paid for my lunch. He's a nice guy. Over time, that impact is far greater than your like stupid words on the internet. Like nobody cares about that. Exactly. Like people, people don't change their minds. They change their hearts. That's how they become Muslim, right? Uh, So like one thing I I, want to talk about. Very true. I want to talk about in terms of the mind and the heart. There's a lot of Sufi poetry, as a matter of fact. If you try to understand it from the mind, it'll very, it'll confuse you. Right, yeah. it'll you'll think like oh, you know, Salafis will say it's kofa. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, this is are, are you going to read from that manuscript that we found like uh, ten minutes ago? Oh yeah, because that's amazing that like that was random and that is true. Nothing is random. Absolutely. And isn't it funny that uh, something printed in 1990 is now a manuscript? Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an actual. <laughs> Exaggeration. It's, printed, it's yeah. printed in 1983. Yeah, 1983. It's an artifact. <laughs> we're like, we're like, oh, you know what it is? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an early, it. ver- it's an early like yeah. pamphlet, uh, like self-published uh, version of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, to be fair, it also it's it's the color that a manuscript would be. I mean, yeah, it's, like, know, it's like an off, All very right. off-white. Yellowish. So I'm just gonna read this. Uh, I'm not gonna sing it, but I'll read it. Okay. Say Allah and leave creation and all it contains, if you desire to reach perfection. For all besides Allah, if you reflect upon it, is nothing, both in detail and on the whole. And know that you and all the worlds, were it not for him, would be effaced and disappear. For the one who has no existence in and of himself, were it not for Allah, his existence would be impossible. The Gnostics have been annihilated and see nothing besides the mighty, the exalted, and they see everything but him as perishing, in the now, the past, and in the future. Subhanallah. So this is from uh, Reflections of the Beloved, Songs of Ihsan, um, a collection of qasidas in English translated through the cooperation of the students and grand students of Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Shaguri. And, and, you know, there's this idea that um, we have, you know, I've always been interested in aqidah and like the idea of... Uh, 
you know the 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 place of Allah right is is always up for debate in, in South Jersey and, and in the Philly Camden area. So it's one thing that's always been interesting, especially if you read Sufi poetry. There's a lot of like Allah is everywhere, Allah is in us, I am Allah. Like, um, but the not a good line. That's going too far. Not I am Allah. Like, like um, I meant to say, like uh, Allah is within us. Yeah. You know. But it's not meant to be taken. All that allegorical. Right. It's, a, it's very allegorical. It's not meant to be taken literally. Alex, your cat is bugging. <laughs> yeah, stuff for a lot. I mean, animal, to say the cat didn't like the. She's on the fifth one, man. That was a, a slip of the tongue. Yeah. You know, may Allah forgive us. Uh, uh, well, no, forget it. Somebody's definitely going to clip that and be like, "See what they're talking about." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Allegories. It's, right. it's allegorical. And not only is it allegorical, you ask, you know, people who read, you know, Sufi poetry, they'll tell you that this is not meant to be understood from the mind because yeah. in the mind, it doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, Allah is everywhere. Okay. That contradicts so many rules of yeah. law, right? Yeah. Rules of Aqidah. That doesn't make any sense, but it's not meant to be understood course, by the mind, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not meant to be understood by the heart. Yeah. And, there's a lot of things that I feel like we go about our day and our lives and our understandings of religion, especially now, like based on the mind and mm-hmm. we forget about the heart. And that's where I feel like a solution to a lot of the problems that exist mm-hmm. today is sometimes we need to turn the mind off. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> especially right. like, yeah. um, the last like two, three weeks, like people have been asking, Oh, you know, if all these scholars and males and men are corrupt, you know, and, and our understanding of gender and all these things is corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> if our understanding of gender and life and religion and all these things are corrupted, then how can I understand yeah. anything? Yeah. And you know what I told myself the last two weeks? I was like, I don't want to debate with anybody. Yeah. I don't really care. Right. Right. The, my heart knows what is correct and mm-hmm. the fifth knows what is correct. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to stay on that. By the yeah. way, I mean, why do you guys think that uh, the focus – at least in 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 kind of the society we live in, is on the mind. Do you think that that has something to do with the fact that Western Renaissance philosophy has always been about like empiricism? It's, the, it's and, before that. Yeah. It's always been said that from the time of the Greeks, the Western Hemisphere focuses on the mind. Yeah, and the Eastern Hemisphere focuses on instinct, God, mm. spirit, soul. Right, India, yeah. these places. China. It's, it's always been said that. The West focuses on the intellect and the East focuses on the, uh, you know, the instinct mm. and the, uh, the soul and the heart. Mm. Yeah. It's and I think that that rings true today as well. Like, ha- has Western philosophy changed at all in that respect? I mean, you guys know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, not, mm. I don't know. <laughs> it's no, I, yeah, it has changed. It's devolved. It's went down. Right? Yeah. Western because, philosophy has become, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's gone from, Something that was in some ways useful, it continued to decline yeah. into the postmodern deconstructionist, yeah. the post-structuralist. Yeah. You know, there it's you just, go. it's mm-hmm. just in, it's, I think there's Vic- nothing happening, man. Wittgenstein was one of the big turning points when really he said it's all, forget logic, forget into, forget these things. It's just experience. Yeah. Right. So the phenomenologists right. come along and they're like, well, yeah. how, what do I, what do I Phenomenologists? Phenomenologists. Yeah. Can we explain? Thing. Any anyone who's done a PhD, at least in my time, yeah, <laughs> has to read. Uh, it's all phenomenology. Okay, Husserl. Yeah. Phenomenology is basically to, to give the, the the dummy summary of it is uh, there is no right and wrong. It's just express expressing and articulating the experience. I see. 
That's What's it. really happening out here? <clears throat> yeah. What do, what do I take from it? Yeah. Right. So you get somebody like 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 uh, like Heidegger who is basically a, yeah. a mystic, right? He goes out into the black forest in Germany and he has experiences, and then he writes yeah. down his thoughts on the state of being and the nature of time. Yeah. Right. And this is this becomes, and then you you get you get Sartre who starts talking about being and nothingness. Yeah. Right. At least at least at least Heidegger was talking about being in time. Yeah. <laughs> he he comes in and he goes being in nothingness yeah. right and then it just continues to devolve until you end up today with uh uh Henri Levy yeah uh Henri Ber- Bernard Henri Levy right who's just a Zionist yeah. garbage yeah. uh receptor <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is the this is the state of, that we're in today. And, and and when I was uh in second third year college I came upon these philosophers and was very intimidated and having you know you know, Muslim uh, background. I said, I need to know these people because these are the these are the founders of uh, uh, of disbelief, right? So I need to study these people. And there was Davidson; his work was impossible to read, right? And and all these people. And I went head on studying these guys, all the while thinking that these are some like noble men out there, yeah. right? Luminaries. And then when you read about their <laughs> actual lives, right? Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, this is just some guy, right? Who's just writing? Yeah. Okay. And at his era, no one was following him. No one cared, right? And somehow his work trickled down, and maybe one or two people found it amazing, and then they passed it on. But you go look at a guy like Nietzsche, right? I don't know how people say it. Yeah. I'd say it, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Right? Nietzsche. How do you say it? Uh, I say I say Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Yeah. Okay. But it was like a little Nietzsche. By the way, Nietzsche. what? You, yeah. It's a little. And I'm looking at, and here's a guy who ended up in an asylum. Yeah. Right. And his yeah. his stuff that he says right. it makes sense, but from an Islamic right. perspective, is very easily to easy to. Yeah, of course. By the way, you know, in order to see his flaws. to make people bulletproof, make themselves bulletproof from that from analysis of like their life and like, oh, well, what were their actions? What was it, what was their yeah. character like? They actually made a fallacy called the ad hominem fallacy in order to say that yeah. you can't you can't point to his life and you can't point to his experience and his his. Uh, you know, flaws or whatever yeah. as a, as a negative against his argument. Like you yeah. gotta, you, you gotta to separate, separate that. That's true. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't consider any of that. Like you can't consider his trustworthiness when yeah. it comes to like, Hey, when he's saying I'm trust me, right? Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. And that's, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's actually how, um, you know, Muslim elders who never studied this philosophy, they, all they look at is the character. Right, so you could take like an, you take an Arab guy, exactly. right, exactly. and show him. Well, this is what Nietzsche said, and then he reads the biography of Nietzsche. He's like, the guy's nuts. Yeah. Close the book, yeah. right? right? He went to an asylum. Close yeah. the book. So all they look why because our uh, civilization relies upon khabar transmission right? from prophecy. Yeah. Islam that- has only come from prophecy khabar. So if the transmitter himself is astray yeah. or is, is 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 off in his character and behavior that all of his transmission is gone. Before we move from this topic, because I think we're moving in that direction, I just want to point out that there's some philosophers who really have some amazing names. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like, I think it's, uh, it's providential from Allah that some of these people have the, the silliest sounding names ever, right? Like who? Like one of, one of the great French phenomenologists is, uh, Maurice Merleau-Ponty. Oh <laughs> he has a double last name, Merleau-Ponty. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, but my absolute favorite is this current guy who's in America. He's a African American guy who does like critical race theory. Uh huh. Wallahi, this is his name, Lucius Outlaw. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wallahi, that's his name, Lucius before, Outlaw. His so, dad must have been something so else too, right? Before, before Moyen, who named him that? <laughs> before Moyen yells us for going way off topic what's the difference between regular race theory and 
critical race theory. Oh, well, no, 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 no. That's a, that's that's an entire four podcast. Okay. About all, right. Maybe, but, all right. Yeah, so yeah, critical yeah. critical theory very simply is you take. It's not philosophy. You don't have to. You don't have to go. No, ahead. I'll, I'll just give you the very brief. You instead of instead of make, looking at actual arguments and evidences, you you start accepting narrative oh, as yeah. as as wow. as an argument. I see. Yeah. Right, and so you have people who start writing stories, yeah. fictions, yeah. and they use those <laughs> to tell the story. And and it, it started out with race, but now you know some law students grabbed it and they started yeah. applying it uh, li- critical legal theory. Right, That's ridiculous. And. Uh, but but yeah, it's just super. It's the extreme edge of like cultural Marxist theory, yeah. Yeah. Where, where you don't even make like you don't even use like actual like my structured fan, my arguments. My fantasy is going to apply to this. It's, yeah, yeah, can, and everything is power. Yeah, and everything that happens. So in critical law, for instance, critical legal theory, everything that happens in the law is actually a a, a device to preserve uh, yeah. white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, By the uh, way, Muin, like I know you hate you don't like when we go off topic, but I actually think the listeners like when we veer off into the. I think that as, I don't like going off topic because we can go off topic yeah. for hours. No, I, I think as no, long as right, it's though. points, as you're long as you're bringing up points. Yeah, well, exactly. our off topics, <clears throat> as long as they're still on topic, <clears throat> if that makes sense. It doesn't, but... I, no, 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 no. So if you go off tangent, <clears throat> yeah. if you go on a tangent, right, somehow we've managed to connect the dots, right? Mm-hmm. As long as we could do that. Right. And I think how to do that is, you know... Everything that we've talked about in this podcast has kind of like jumped around a bit. Yeah. Right. And you know, the, the funny thing is, right. You go on like the internet and you look at the arguments and the problems that have existed in the last like three weeks only. They've jumped around. Right. That's why you come in and, and I wanted to structure our topic on the mind and the heart because the mind will jump around. Yeah. Right. The mind will go from here to there to here (laughs) to there to this argument to this problem to this thing. Right. Just as we tangentially go on. Uh, topics, right? Be- right? It's because like your mind just wanders, yeah. right? And that's just what it does naturally. Yeah. Uh, but the heart, right? You have to bring it back to the heart, right? Like, yeah. and that, and that's the important thing, right? Is um, you know, and that and that's the whole point. So, like, I wanted to make with this whole podcast. So we always try to give some practical, right? Like advice steps for people. So what what are some things you guys think are useful for people to to bolster the uh, the dimension of the heart? I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple of things that I've done recently that have helped me a lot. One, right? When you wake up in the morning, right? Um, make it a point to do something substantial before you get on your cell phone. When I say substantial, I mean like like pray fudge. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, see, the thing is, the the people who actually have this problem. Fudger is just like they pray. They're they, doing that anyway. Yeah. Like they, like, like yeah. I think you mentioned it, Doctor Shelley, one time. They've made it into a routine. Like yeah. you know, they they. No, I, I like I told you that I knew a guy who was boastful <laughs> that he has developed a routine. Oh, Listen, what happened? What happened? This is so crazy. He has developed a routine. Yeah. To yeah. pray, Fudger. You don't remember this? With no. the uh-huh. least uh-huh. optimal requirement of waking up, so that he could literally go right back to sleep after Turak and Wudu. Okay. Right. So what we'll does do, he do? Firstly, no lights go on. Okay. Warm water only. Okay. Yeah. And he prays Fajr. He knows the surahs he's going to recite. He prays right next to his bed and crawls right back into bed uh-huh. in a five-minute span. Yeah. Less sometimes. Yeah. So that he could hit back into that REM sleep right away. I see. And he <laughs> so is he boastful about it. Like, is, he he's Malik? is he Maliki? <laughs> he's nothing. 
<laughs> I was gonna say because that yeah. will do could help you, yeah, right? Because it's very like just wipe it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so going back to that, one is, <laughs> I, I think even after fudger, like do something substantial in the morning without looking at anything on the internet, without like you know engaging in something you know mentally exhausting. And I think the internet or anything to do with electricity is mentally exhausting from a uh, existential level. So right. don't wake up to News 12. Yeah, <laughs> so don't wake up to yeah. TV. Don't wake up to – like – and I don't mean like a considerable amount of time, like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Take it, you know, take a walk outside, do some vicar, read a damn book, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, talk to I someone. Have to explain what a book is to the people that don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and I think after that, I think another thing that I've I've started to do is before you start praying, right? Take like thirty seconds to like actually realize what you're doing, right? Thirty seconds, just stop before you make your intention. You know, make like a pre-intention. You know, I you know I'm actually standing here to pray. Clear your thoughts. Focus on your prayer, and don't rush your prayer for anything. Mm. Like for absolutely anything, unless it's like life threatening. Nothing is gonna happen. Yeah, but and I've noticed this. Nothing happens. You know what's really crazy? And if you die in prayer, then you know. Like, you know what's really crazy? Down. You know what's some of the best <clears throat> prayer that people have? Like, there's a lot of people who will tell you, "I've prayed right before a job interview," right? Yeah. And it's some of the best prayer that people have, and they pray it with such peace, yeah. serenity, <laughs> calmness, yeah. like sincerity, because right they want that job interview, yeah. right? Or they want, or like something good is about to happen, yeah. and they do it like just five minutes before. Yet they pray with such calmness. Right. And here you have hours of nothing to do, mm. and you're like rushing, like, oh, I got to get to work, or I got to do this. Take the time to realize that nothing in this world, no leaf falls from a tree without Allah allowing it to fall. And it's it's important to realize that nothing you could do can speed things up or make them slow down, right? So take the time to do what you need to do, right? Go ahead. No, no, please. So that I mean, that's like my basic practical advice that you mm. know, I've, been, I've done for the last two weeks. That's tremendous, and I'll tell you why. What you're talking about is this thing that takes a little bit of time that lasts forever. Mm. It's, it's it's a result. It's it's two minutes. It's five minutes. Whatever minute, however long it is, it will continue until the day of judgment, and then carry you. Even to higher stations because uh, entry to paradise is by Allah's forgiveness and his mercy. And then our stations are by our works, right? Mm -hmm. So that thing that you're doing has no end. It will last forever. Mm -hmm. Eternity, like real eternity, day after Mm -hmm. day after day with no end. And when you talk about Salah by itself, the uh, two brothers... Uh, used to live in the time of the Prophet One of the brothers was markedly more virtuous than the other. Other was the average uh, Muslim, and the other was m- more noticeably more virtuous. So he died, and then the second one died. The more virtuous one died, then the second one died. So they said uh, they would comment about the brother and said uh, the more virtuous one died six months before the second one, the less virtuous one. And the Prophet interjected, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam." He said, "And how do you know where his prayer took him? He had six months." of obligatory prayers more than his brother. So the Prophet, firstly, to cool it down a little bit on the judging, who's better, number one. But number two, don't underestimate the obligatory prayers. These five prayers, 
uh, How do you know where though his obligate, six months of obligatory prayers, maybe that allowed him to catch up with his brother, right? In reward and virtue in the sight of Allah. So that's how much the Prophet emphasized the prayer. And I think that so long as Muslims pray, we will keep our track. And one of the proofs of that is that the prayer encompasses everything, including philosophy, including aqidah, including methodology and epistemology. Because number one, you don't know how to pray from the Quran. Firstly, the only obligation of the prayer, right? So you're recognizing that that's the first thing as what a Muslim is versus what a Prophet said, the, the pact between us and shirk is a salat. That's, that's the first thing. Secondly, how do you know how to pray? Only from hadith, right? It's the only way you know how to pray. So you right there are accepting hadith. So you cannot be a Qur'ani and pray five times a day, right? <laughs> number So number three, there's so many hadith that conflict on the prayer, how to pray. The details. I'm not saying the obligation, the details. The details. And you have right? to pray like a man or a woman, depending on your gender. That's true, right? <laughs> oh, hold on. There you go. <laughs> right? So the, uh, uh, the conflicting hadith. So you're going to have to pray. So which one do you choose? That's your fiqh. It was going to require you yes, to study exactly. one of the methods of fiqh and to act upon it, right? And then, fourthly, it's going to force you to connect to the community. Absolutely. Because if you pray, then the Prophet said <clears throat> the prayer in jama'ah is 25 and 27 times the reward. Right. Hmm. Then, in that case, why give that up? So you're going to join the community. So it brings you involved in the community. Right. Once you're in the community, everything comes. Right. Also, clothes. People who dis- disagree with clothes, right? Rule- rules of clothes. Have to first certain things in prayer. Yeah, you can't be a man cannot be wearing these tight jeans. Right. The women yeah. is clothes in prayer is known. So that any if you have any arguments in clothes, all of a sudden they end when it comes to salah, right? Unless you're a member of that ridiculous mockery of the dean that happens out in uh Stanford where they have a Juma that starts before Dhuhr and it's led by a woman and hijab is optional. Wow. But you know what the one thing they do do? What? Men on the on one side, women on the other. <laughs> For some reason, that Why still exists. Why do they do that, yeah. Why not Well, I think we're doing a disservice even calling that a Jummah. So no, I said like yeah, a fake Jummah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, a gathering. It's, yeah. a, it's a mockery it of is, the religion. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know. And, and well, I don't know why. They, I think they probably separate them because, you know, things could happen. Like yeah. If you stick men and women together in close company, that's a whole other... So, uh, that's a whole other podcast yeah. about how the rules of Islam are perfectly set up to protect us in every time and every place, including modern times where we're so like modern. We don't need those yeah. kind of the, the rules of khadwa and so that doesn't apply. You know, the funny thing is when everyone's saying, well, we need to see what's the solution to all this <coughs> harassment and Dino all Islam. these things. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. What yeah. can we add that's, that's not already there? Yeah. By the way, right? you know what? We reduce it a lot too. Like, even ab initio, before you even get to the point of should men and women be alone together, stop. In a, in a true, in a truly righteous, God-fearing society, a Muslim society, you should not have all of the images. And I don't, I don't mean like pornography, right? I mean like stuff on billboards when you're driving your kids to school of women almost completely naked. Like this drive towards sexuality and the commodification and sexualization of the female form. So much so that it just becomes ingrained in people from childhood that, you know, we're hypersexualized and women are seen as nothing other than, uh, the, the targets of our sexual, uh, energies. Mm-hmm. You got to start from the very beginning. Fix your society. Yeah. You can't just go after the fact and be like, well, but there should be rules. You throw, you know, 
to 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 paraphrase something I heard from from someone a long time ago, you can't just throw. I I, I don't even want to say because it, it sounds it, it, without the context it might sound stupid, but like you can't have deer, uh, throw like a baby deer a doe into a a pen of wolves and be like, but you wolves you gotta relax and just like be friendly with it, yeah. and like this is what we're doing. We're putting. Young, uh, women, it's like in the Hollywood thing, young, attractive women who are desperate to succeed based on, in, in large part, their looks with these older guys that are rich and powerful and control their lives. What do you think is going to happen when you leave these people alone? Or young boys as coming out more and more. Like today, Kevin Spacey was, a, uh, there was an acquisition against Kevin Spacey of some kid that was like 14 years old at the time. Right. And then he came out and admitted that he is gay and he was like, if it happened, I apologized. So I was probably very drunk. <laughs> this is his mm. excuse, right? So you leave your son alone with in an industry where you know that there's a lot of homosexuals. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You have to you have to start way, way, way back in the beginning. It's just like uh, when people come up and say, <clears throat> you know, my 17 year old son, this and that. It's like, hold on a second. What do you want me to do for him? Right? You had 17 years. You had 17 to years to this. raise him. Right? What right. do you want me to do? You know, yeah. So when, so, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Doc Shelley was giving us uh, that uh, the prayer. Yeah, for example, the, the prayer f- makes us go back to the books of fiqh. Okay, mm-hmm. traveler's prayer, how do I do it? Right? Rain prayer, how do I do it? All these prayers, how do I do them? Eclipse prayer. Eclipse. What happens if I'm about to miss the salah and I'm stuck in traffic and it's raining outside? Right? What do I do? What I'm a surgeon. So my the point is that the prayer is so central. It's not just about connecting to Allah. It is, of course, that's the most important thing. But it connects us to the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, to scholarship and to community. Because there is no prayer without these three. Yeah. There's there's nobody out there who prays five times a day, except that they must go to a masjid at some point or other. you got to go to Jummah. You're going to go to Tarawih. You're going to pray in the masjid to get more reward. So you're going to mingle with the community. Yeah. So the prayer is what is saving and is going to be the the self the sebab the cause that Allah Azza wa Jal uses to save every Muslim community, and I'm looking Subhanallah, and it's the rallying point of every community. London Central Mosque, three a.m. Regent's Park Road, and you've been to London. I I, I prayed Jummah there. When you I prayed Jummah there. Yeah. So that you see how that's down a, a, a gorgeous road, mm-hmm. Baker Street, where Sherlock Holmes is supposedly you know the character is based <laughs> out of there. Regent's Park, beautiful area right there. Three a.m. In Ramadan, street is packed. Subhanallah. I'm, I'm telling you, the and it's not the last 10 nights, right? Not last 10 nights. The street, the masjid is packed, and the majority of the people were young people, right? Mm-hmm. And there's food going around, right? And it's just like, you look at this, and you're like, wow, this is something, right? This is doing something for people and for community, for family, for society. You see father and son coming, right? You see daughters and, uh, uh, you know, daughters with their moms, you know, little kids with their moms. And subhanAllah, there was, uh, one kid, I remember, two brothers. The mom, the father had passed away. The mom was just on council housing, which means the government was giving her a stipend, basically. Her kids went so far astray as young kids, just still young kids. They'd be like sixth, seventh grade. So I would go there for Dhuhr and I would see these two little kids there every single day. And I finally said, what's, what's going on? You don't go to school, right? And the mom, what happened was a Moroccan woman, she said, I cannot handle the kids. They're going astray. Like, and uh, she's not talking about astray, like in their belief or taking a peek at a, you know, something he's not supposed to look at. She's like, they're doing little thefts, right? Little crimes. And they're just fighting like bad stuff, right? For their age, it's a sign that they're going to go down the wrong path. 
uh, in a worldly sense, not even in a religious sense. So what's her solution? She brings the kids in, right, to the masjid, and she tells the janitorial team, because it's so big as a janitorial team, and there's a restaurant, right, and they all work. And she said, here, you're volunteers. Allahu Akbar. This is her homeschooling, right? She wakes up in the morning, brings the kids, because she doesn't know what to do anymore. She's a single mom with these two boys, and they're out of control. She brings them to the masjid, and I'm like, this isn't, this is no way, this is no philosophy. What are you, what is this going to do? It's genius. Month after month, those kids reformed into young men, I'm telling you, from serving in the masjid, praying. They would pray Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib. Maghrib, she would go home, right? They became part of the, the team. Ramadan came and they were putting in hours upon hours of volunteer work. I'm telling you, they came out of that one year, totally different people. Yeah, of course. Just from the masjid and the salah. And you know what's funny though? You say that example to a lot of people and you get so many people telling you that, oh, <coughs> this is injustice. This is not the way to solve the problem. What are you going to say that? But you know, you know what the thing is though? Practical results, you know, actually mean something yeah, to people wait. like us, right? Anybody who says that that's injustice, what do you, <laughs> you know what do you what do you call like like the the parents that put their kids in like boot camp? Yeah. You know when they're like acting up to like go to boot camp. What do you no, mean? You, what should, you, be, call you should be putting yeah. them they, in the room and saying they they call, study. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? What they call that? Liberals call that barbarism. <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> that's barbaric. And by the way, the masjid life has its uh, its its uh, <clears throat> lulls, right? Where you can relax. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. between salahs, right? There's Sometimes there's nothing to do. Sometimes there's vacuuming. Sometimes there's mopping. Sometimes there's going down to the restaurant and working, right? Because I used to go there all the time. And I would see these kids doing everything, including sometimes just chilling. Yeah. Because there's, sometimes there's nothing to do. So they did so much. They did the cash register. They, they worked in the kitchen. They mopped up and cleaned up. They ended up, you know, knowing the prayer times, praying. But sometimes attending a class, sometimes taking a nap, and having everything, a, and having examples of adults, adults yes, mingling right? with adults, like, like all having the time. role models, and they yeah. see people exactly. who are religious and who are. I mean, you know, that's exactly. that sounds amazing and, to me. And, yeah. and like one last final thing I want to add before uh, you know we we wrap up is um, there was always this example I followed when uh, you know a few years ago. Uh, when we, when I used to go to the gym, um, is uh, this guy would give an example. It's like, you know, you should push yourself always to do like one push up a day at a minimum. And he was like, I don't, I don't tell people to do five. I don't tell people to do 20. He's like, you know, the, the goal should be you have to do one push up a day. So it became like this thing, right? It's like, there's nobody who can't do one push up, right? It's not really asking for much. It's like, just, well, well, <laughs> well there's people. There's, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, generally most people could do a push up. Now, the, the whole thing behind it was like, okay, nobody's going to do one push up. Even if I told you, yeah. Saad, tomorrow, I yeah. want you to do one push up. Right. There's, for most people, I would say you're going to do like five, maybe yeah. 10. Most yeah. people are going to go up to 10, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the next day you do one. What's end up, ha- what ends up happening is, you don't end up doing one. You end up doing 10 or yeah, five. Yeah, and then yeah. I remember what happened is after like two weeks, I was like, Hey, maybe I should go to the gym, you know? Yeah. So I went to the gym and it all was like because of that one push up, right? So like, I think Dr. Shelley, you told us one thing once, right? Is like after your salah, make sure you do your yeah. speak, right? Mm. Your subhanAllah. And it's the consistency, right? Right. Take <clears throat> the five minutes, make mm. sure you do it. Like if you had to do just one thing tomorrow, yeah. right? That you had to change, finish your tasbih and every single prayer. And by, th- by the way, let me share with you a, a sound hadith the, that is a rukhsa related to the tasbih of 33, 33, 33. 
And that is the Prophet ﷺ said, if you do uh, 10, 10, and 10, provided that before you sleep, you do 33, 33, 34, right? That is a secondary version of the tasbih. Let's say someone never finishes their 33, 33, and 33, or they lose count on their fingers, right? That happens to people. So uh, you, or you, you don't want to reach into your pocket and pull out your beads, right? It happens. So the Prophet ﷺ gave a type of rukhsa. He said, do 10, subhanAllah, 10, alhamdulillah, 10, Allahu Akbar, after every prayer, and then 33, 33, 34 before you sleep, mm. right? And, so that's a, just to make it easier for some. Yeah, I mean, there's some people who unable. aren't doing it at all who are forgetting, right? I mean, there's people who forget it or just yeah. are in a rush and they don't do it, right? But really the 10, 10, 10, I mean, how could you not do that? That's so easy. Takes two seconds, right? It, I mean, it doesn't take that long, right? Yeah. But it's and and it's like if you could just do that, just that one thing tomorrow, yeah. like that's all I'm saying is practical advice because at the end of the day, it's like the one push up; it'll lead to more, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think we're hitting a bunch of a bunch of time here, a good amount of time here. So I, I want to wrap up before we wrap up. I want to give him a lot for the finale. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it was a good mid-season finale. Uh, I want to do a uh, plug for Kairawan uh, Caravan. So, um, so, uh, I'm one of the three partners for Qairawan Caravan. Harun and Ali are my other partners. They've actually been on other podcasts. So, Qairawan Caravan is a clothing company. We started, uh, you know, I think uh, almost like six months or so back. Uh, we're selling clothes from the Maghrib, right? And we're our entire capes, capes, dobes, cloaks. And, uh, you know, our mission statement almost is, uh, our vision is, you know, uh, uh, decolonize your wardrobe. That is good. <laughs> right. So it's, it's this idea of not just, uh, bringing clothing from the Maghrib back to America, but it's really, you know, reviving culture and the understanding of culture and where it comes from and the caravan travels. So, uh, I wanted to take a little, you know, to 10 to 30 seconds to talk about kind of one caravan. Uh, so if you guys, if any of our listeners are interested, you know, we have a 10% discount. If you use the code SS podcast, you can get a 10% discount. Uh, if Harun is generous, maybe a 15% discount. Uh, so you'll, you'll Harun's going to kill you. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, but, uh, yeah, you can get a 10% discount. If you use SS podcast, um, uh, at www.idawancaravan.com, Q-A-Y-R-A-W-A-N, caravan, C-A-R-A-V-A-N. Spell it one more time. <laughs> no, seriously. Q A Y. We'll, we'll, we can. We'll link it yeah, in the. We'll good. link it in the thing. Kaidawan Caravan. Alex, you you had. Uh, I I was one of your first customers, if not the very first. I think I had the third order. I was order mm. number three. So how'd you like your? Uh, uh, it's amazing. It's the most beautiful uh, and well-made thobe I've ever seen. It's a it's a hooded cloak. It's a thobe hooded like they were in the Maghrib. Yeah. Uh, the design elements are amazing. It's super thick wool, so it's perfect. I'm gonna. It's that gonna be winter my winter stuff. thobe. Get, yeah. get them now. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even a partner in this business. I have nothing to do, but yeah. it's really just, it's the most high quality piece I've ever had. The, and yeah. it's, I, I can't say enough good things about it. I'll be posting pictures of it in the winter, I'm sure. Though, uh, when the Moroccan thobe is, is especially useful for people who like, like yourself, wear yeah. regular clothes, work clothes, yeah. and then you just throw it on top of the button up shirt. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it, it looks it works nice, perfectly. You can't do that with the regular Eastern thobe. Yeah. You got yeah. to change out. And this of it. is what? Tunisian? Tunisian, okay. yeah. And, and funny thing is, the Qairawan cloak, right? Um, if you actually look at it in <clears> pictures, <throat> if you look at, uh, pictures from Star Wars, it's actually the 
yeah. same cloak that yeah. you know George well, Lucas mm. used because he's the Jedi are basically you know well Tatooine, yeah, yeah. Tatooine is an actual yeah, place yeah, out exactly. there. Tatooine is an actual place in Tunisia yeah. and there's so, a place called I mean George Jin Lucas too. has even admitted that the basis of the Jedi were uh, in part the, the, the uh, yeah exactly yeah so. and so it, what's really interesting is you look at some of the pictures of the Kaidawan cloak and you'll be like hey those look like Jedi cloaks right yeah. and it's it's like, not no that the they Jedi look, cloaks look like those it's the Jedi cloaks <laughs> look like those and as a matter of fact those are the Jedi clothes, yeah. but, you know, out of trademark, we're not going to yeah. say anything against George Lucas yeah. here. But uh, those well, he sold the, sold it anyway. He sold he dumbest sold, he sold dumbest the, sale ever. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah. if you want to check out uh, the Kaidawan cloak, yeah. um, uh, com and the code is SS Podcast. So um, point of interest related to that, the, the Qasida that you read, yeah. That was written by a Gothic Abu Madian, radiallahu ta'ala, who is the uh, Andalusian um, mm-hmm. sheikh who then lived in the Maghrib, who is the uh, the grand sheikh of Abu Hassan al-Shadali. Which is really like the patron, the person who brought, is considered the sheikh of the Maghrib. Yeah. yeah. So it, right. you didn't even know it, but in, in, a, in a booklet full of uh, shami, Shuyukh, who so, have Hasidas in here, you pick the, the one from uh, Al-Ghul. No, there you go. No, Everything is well, connected. The next, <laughs> next podcast. The heart. <laughs> yeah. Next podcast. He's like three steps away from Gufay <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, but you're right. Though, right? Everything's connected. That's true. You're right. Uh, can't deny that. But uh, next, inshallah, next podcast, remind me to, to tell the story of Abu Madin. Do you know it? Write it down. Yeah. Do you know it now? Yeah. You want to hear it now? Just tell it. Okay. Let's, let's, mid-season, let's, mid-season right, fine, finale. Fine, no? We'll do it now. Okay, fine. So uh, Abu Median, he was living in North Andalusia in a farm far away from the people. And his mother died very young. He had an older brother and his dad. And uh, everything was going fine. Then the dad died. So then it was just the older brother and him. And the older brother, of course, he's not experienced in life. and He starts really abusing his little brother. And his little brother would hate it so much, he would sort of go far away at the tip of the farm. At the tip of the farm, he was able to see an old man who would sit, who was in his house, like the porch of his house almost, you could say. And and this is what year we're talking. We're talking 11 something. Yeah. yeah. So he would see him reading Quran, holding the Quran and reading it. He had never learned Quran. He had never learned Salah, right? And he would just love to just sit and listen to this man. And it was a source of peace for him. Until finally, his brother and him were just coming to blows. And he ran away from him. He ran away from his brother, like running away from home. His brother ran after him. And he had his brother had a metal tool in his hand, like a type of, I don't know, some farm tool. And he came a to... Sickle. Something. And he came to... I don't know, but it was something. You know how you say sickle in Spanish? La os. Mm. Oh, really? That's exactly what my last name is. Mm. Wait a second. So that's, uh, you have some communist in your background. Just that that's it's a farmer thing. Farmer it's a, it's thing. An yeah. old, it's, it's an old it's agrarian fun. thing. Okay, it makes sense. Fun fact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything's connected in this well, podcast. My, the, the, the better part is that, that my family is from exactly that region. The farm the, area. Where, oh, where, the north. Where Abamadian is from. Yeah, yeah. from, from, from uh, there you oh, go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so he was chasing him. Right? So he's chasing him. He, he's, he was about to strike him with this metal tool. And so uh, Abu Madian picked up a, the only thing he saw, which was a twig. And he just as a reaction put it up. And the metal tool bent in front of uh, on the twig. 
So the brother was like, oh, something's going on here. So he threw his thing and he walks back. Uh, Abu Madian, he continued going and he came upon a hermit. And this man living in the middle of nowhere, because mind you, by the way, there was something called nowhere back in the day. Not every single inch was populated and controlled. So this old man lived in a tent and he came to him and said, let me live with you. So the old man said, fine. And there the old man taught him how to make wudu, how to pray. And he started memorizing Quran until he reached like the surah, some, some smaller surahs memorized. And he spent about a year with this man. Then the old man said to him, now it's time for you to go. Uh, and he said, where do I go? He said, travel south, keep going south and keep asking for the city of Fez until you can register in a school called, in a mosque called Al-Qarawiyin. So he went there and he did, and he did just that. He went with a, a few coins in his hand and he managed to get across the Mediterranean Sea into Morocco and into Fez. And there he enrolled into the Qarawiyin. So there he started to study. But unlike all the other uh, students who had family there, he didn't have anywhere to go. He didn't have anywhere to live. The school said, uh, we don't offer living spaces, right? At the time, they didn't offer living space. So he went and he found a old, worn-down mosque that nobody was using, and he took that as his home. And because he had no family in the area, and because he had no connections, and because he had no luxuries in his home, which is the mosque, all he could do at this time was study. He turned out to be the best student after four or five years, having studied all the sciences. After four or five years, he turned out to be the best student. He then came, left the Qarawiyin, and he had heard that there was uh, Abu Ya'za Yalanur, a man who he heard was preaching without having formal background in knowledge. And he said, this is wrong, right? Nobody can be talking and preaching and leading community, right, with no formal background and knowledge, right? So he went to see him, and these were the Berber people, and that was his village. Like uh, Abu Yazi al at the time, he wasn't a traveling preacher. That was his village, right? <laughs> it's his village, and he's the right. chief of that village, right? So uh, those are his people, and he's leading them in the masjid. They have a little masjid, they got their farms, etc. So he comes in with a little bit, as he says, a type of attitude, I'm going to correct these people. And on the third day, he's sitting there watching them with disdain. He wakes up and he can't see. He can't see anymore. And he goes to the sheikh. He said, what's going on? I can't see. He said, well, you came to, to tell us what to do, to correct us and everything. And now you can't see. You're not going to see until you humble yourself by rubbing your face on the pillow on which I sit. So he told him this like three days later. He left him be blind for three days. And he did that. And then his eyesight came back. So it was like a karama miracle. Right? He then said, I'm going, uh, he said, you're going to leave. He said, you're going to leave here. Okay. When you leave, a lion's going to come in your path and tell him, I just came from visiting and honoring Abu Yazi al Nur. So get out of my way. And this actually happened. He then started going back and forth between, uh, Abu Yazi al Nur and actually critically studying his teachings. And realized that this was, everything he's saying is legitimate, right? And Abu Yaza was, was this type of, he wasn't like a troublemaking type of, uh, uh, person, but Allah granted him certain things and didn't grant him other things. And he was able to impart the knowledge of the heart, which was what you were saying, into, uh, Abu Madi, into Abu Madi. 
And therefore, Abu Madim came to balance both. He came to have both. Like you said, some people, they have the heart. They don't have the ability to put it into technical language. And that's why they get into trouble, right? Abu Yaza was such a man, but Abu Yaza wouldn't, he wasn't really his preacher. He wouldn't talk. He wouldn't gather people like that. But he was just like that. He had the type of uh, wilaya, you could say, without having the technical background. He imparted that part and balanced Abu Madian. Abu Madian went on to be undisputed imam of the Maghrib. Undisputed. Until his power reached so much that one of the rulers became, when he was older in age, one of the rulers became sort of uh, upset with him. Like he has too much power. He is not happy with it. So he called him to him and he was going to punish him and he died on the way. So that is the great story of Abu Madian and how he balanced both the knowledge of the outward and the knowledge of the inward and how you can't not have both. You have to have both. So that's a great story. Uh, it's a great story to end on too. Yeah. It is. yeah. yeah. The scholar, um, Abu among the people who took from him is Ibn Arbi. Subhanallah. Sheikh Al Akbar Ibn Arbi. Uh, Ibn Mashish. So I think uh, that's a good place to uh, stop. So thank you. This is a great uh, mid-season finale. Inshallah, we'll see you back when we restart. And uh, uh, we'll let you know the time frame soon, inshallah. But uh, talk to you guys soon. Soon, inshallah. Soon, yeah. inshallah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Subhanakallahumma <laughs> <laughs>